Square in MotoGP and Battle joined in BSB. It's showdown time, folks. Welcome to Bite Live. Let's go! Yes, welcome to episode 30 of Bike Live here on Motorsport 101, and we are reaching that key, key stage of the season. The showdown is now upon us in British Superbikes. We will tell you which six riders made it and which three lost out, as well as two others who finally claimed their first British Superbike wins in the gloom and the torrential rain of Silverstone the last weekend on an unforgettable weekend. We will also look back on a brilliant MotoGP weekend, which saw Matt Marquez produce another last lap from the gods. Not that Danilo Petrucci was happy to see it, uh, as he moved level with Andrea Davizioso at the head of the MotoGP World Championship. We are all square with five races to go. We'll also cover all the other big stories as the Moto2 Championship race was blown wide open again. We've got, uh, we've got Franco Morbidelli to thank for that. And we'll talk about Romano Fernati's brilliance in Moto3, even if it's likely to come way too late to win in this year's World Championship. <laughs> we'll also cover the big news from MotoGP since the Mizano weekend um, and tell you which Yamaha World Superbike rider will be getting the MotoGP gig at Aragon. Apologies, Rebecca James. It's not that one. Um, and we'll look ahead to this weekend as World Superbikes returns to Portimao and as I mentioned, the British Superbike Showdown starts at Alton Park. Joining me this week then to uh, look back on a bumper weekend, um, both in Britain and in Italy, six races to get through over the next two hours, is Andre Harrison. Welcome, Dre. You can't see it, but I'm furiously cracking my knuckles as we speak. I think this is the most races we've ever had to review on a single episode. Um, it's it's going to be bonkers, but uh, God, there's so much to talk about over the next two hours. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. So... Uh, Let's get cracking. Let's get cracking. Uh, places you can find us, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. If you want to follow us on Twitter, at motorsport underscore 101. Um, if you're on YouTube, uh, get yourself over there after this show is finished and uh, find a couple of Dre's newest vlogs on there, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. Um, our website is motorsport101.net. And if you like us so much that you want to back us financially and earn yourself early access to motorsport101 and to bike live, Go to patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Episode 103 went live this week um, with uh, RJ O'Connell, Ryan King and Zoe Hamilton um, as they look ahead to this weekend, to the Singapore Grand Prix and to the IndyCar Championship decider at Sonoma. Um, Dre, unfortunately, wasn't on the show this week, um, but it is worth coming to you, Dre, because as I mentioned, um, new content on the YouTube channel this week. Tell us about it. Yes, yes. I decided to dust off my old SLR again and start talking in front of a camera because that, that, that can only go well, right? Um, you guys asked for it, and uh, I, I did my best to try and deliver. So yeah, there was a, there's a lengthy video blog on there talking about um, Carlos Sainz, and that was confirmed today, about a few hours ago, before we started recording this episode on the Friday. That uh, yes, Carlos Sainz is going on loan to Renault, and. Uh, the big deal of, of McLaren and Toro Rosso swapping power units for 2018 and beyond with McLaren Renault now being a thing. That sounds just weird to even say. Um, so all my thoughts on that, the, the driver market scene as it goes on, that's all up on the YouTube channel as well as some early impressions of the F1 2017 video game. And ironically, some more speculation on Renault seats, which, well, we now know is confirmed. But hey, it's fun to talk about anyway, so go watch it. Yeah, it's, um, it's almost 
almost like yeah. Formula One had its own transfer deadline day today, doesn't it? Pretty um, much. With everything that was announced today. And, uh, and yeah, as, as, as Joe mentioned, Carlos Sainz getting the Renault gig, hence the title of episode 103, Sainz Sealed Delivered, um, for this week's episode of Most 101. Next week's episode, episode 104, um, we'll look back on everything that takes place this weekend. And as I mentioned a moment ago, it is a loaded weekend. Um, with Formula One's annual night race in Singapore and the IndyCar six-way championship showdown at Sonoma um, late on Sunday night. Um, so that will be all next week. Next week, of course, on Bike Live, we will look back on the World Superbikes at Portimao and the BSB showdown opener um, at Alton Park. But first, let's tell you who made the showdown and head back to Silverstone um, for last weekend's British Superbike round. Uh, an unforgettable weekend, uh, a crazy weekend in many aspects, uh, Dre. It started... On the Saturday afternoon, with nine riders in contention for the showdown, um, and we'll sort of we'll try and do this chronologically and work our way through the weekend and talk about how right. the showdown spots um, were decided. Uh, Jason O'Halloran put the Honda on pole position, much to many of our surprise, um, mm. on Saturday afternoon, um, showing hey that Honda has some real pace in it uh, in dry conditions. Unfortunately for O'Halloran, very few of the uh, of the races that followed took place in those very same conditions, um, which saw him struggle to back up that pole position. Um, first rider to see a showdown spots fall down by the wayside in race one was James Ellison, which wasn't really a great surprise, given that he was the outsider going in. Um, but there's something uh, rather sad and prophetic, Dre, about James Ellison's showdown spot uh, finally going for a Burton uh, as his Yamaha breaks down early in race one. Kind of the story of his season. Sigh. Yeah, that's 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 pretty much the Ellison season review in a nutshell, pretty much. It was just one of, just when you think Ellison's got an outside chance of getting in, because he looked very fast all weekend long in all conditions. Ellison looks his usual self, where when Ellison's going, he is an elite rider in BSP for sure, um, can win can win those sorts of races on paper, and pop goes his Yamaha again. Uh, it's 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 been a, a, a curious case this season of Ellison dodging either mechanical breakdowns, shoddy worksmanship from his McCams Yamaha team, or in this case, maybe Ellison overriding it a little bit and making a critical mistake and that's costing points as well it, it's been a bit of a season to forget for Edison unfortunately for the most part because we all know he's better than this he, he we like we know if he if everything goes to plan he's probably making the showdown nine times out of ten so yeah for the the fact he didn't even make it and it wasn't even close to making it in in by the time we, we got to the end of the Silverstone triple header just kind of summed up just what a miserable season it's been for Edison, really. Yeah, it's either been feast or famine for him, as as you'll hear when we talk about race two in a moment. Uh, Shaky Byrne confirmed his place in, in the showdown, as did Leon Haslam um, in that first race, in kind of uh, unusual circumstances, because neither of them made the finish um, in yeah. that first race. Uh, Haslam crashed out of a podium position very early on. Uh, down at Vale, Shaky Byrne was playing the cautious game, was running towards the back end of the top 10 when he fell off um, in the last couple of laps. Uh, in fact, he was battling for sixth when he fell off um, mm. late on in the race. Um, but by virtue of uh, Ellison's DNF and the fact that neither um, Christian Iden uh, or Jake Dixon, riders who were outside the top six, were leading the race, which is what they had to do to really catch Shaky Byrne. Byrne was in, as was Haslam, um, even by virtue of not scoring a point uh, in that first race. <laughs> Um, but it has to be said, though, that didn't mean it was a disappointing race for BYZ Ducati, even though their lead rider crashed out, um, because they ended up winning the thing. Uh, and it's an amazing yeah. story, this. Um, Glenn Irwin, who 
probably wasn't the most popular rider within his own team earlier in the afternoon when he knocked Shaky Burn out of Q2 uh, in mm. qualifying, took the final spot, knocked Shaky Burn out. Um, Shaky Burn ended up 10th on the grid because nine go through to Q3 in BSB, and Shaky Burn was ninth going to the final minute when Glen Owen, his teammate, knocked him out. Um, Glen Owen, Drake, fair to say he redeemed himself by winning race one, and bit of a journey this guy's been on because it's easy to forget that this guy wasn't a million miles away from showdown contention earlier in the season before he had the mother of all injuries which has really curtailed his season so uh, a nice comeback for Owen to come back from all those injuries and finally take his first win I hope he's cleaned up all the blood from the horse's head that was in his bed after yeah. that sad modifying session. But, um, yeah, you're right. Glenn Irwin completely mangled himself early this season when he was in the showdown six in the early in the early parts yeah. of the season. He, he, it was... he was the forgotten injury from Knock Hill the weekend where we lost yes. Haslam, lost Eden. We also lost Irwin that weekend. Yes, indeed. Like That, that was the one we didn't talk about so much. But, yeah, Irwin mangled himself at Knock Hill and... Um, you know, he's had to fight to get back into get back into good health now. But yeah, again, another guy that's showing that hey, maybe that top six form at the start of the season wasn't a fluke. And um, hey, he's celebrated now because he's just been confirmed yesterday to be staying on at BYZ Ducati for next season. So both riders be, confirmed for next year. Yeah, both riders confirmed. Shaky and Glen Owen confirmed for next season. So hey, I guess that's another another positive check mark for Glen Owen. He'll be back on that bike again next year. But Again, like when he has been healthy, he's been very good this season. I think Glenn could have been in that showdown chasing pack if it wasn't for injury this year. So an, you know, another milestone for Glenn to get his first win and well-deserved. He was fantastic in that first race. Incredible confidence. Mm, yeah, it was. And uh, it's it's quite a story for the family as well. It's a family of successful riders, given that um, his brother, one of his brothers is front runner at the moment in the uh, British Super Sport Championship, and one of his other brothers is a, is a leader, Graham Irwin, is the uh, champion in British motocross as well. So it's a, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a tribe of them who are, who are very, very strong uh, all over the UK. Uh, and uh, as uh, he was keen to remind everyone, uh, Glenn Irwin finally uh, getting a victory to show for his season. Um, and uh, boy, did he celebrate it afterwards as well. Congratulations to, to Glenn Irwin for that result uh, in race one. Um, but as far as the showdown spots were concerned, uh, two key performances, or three key performances really, um, in that first race. Most notably, Josh Brooks, who um, is always usually good for a result in wet conditions. He took second. Um, Jake Dixon took fourth, which given that he went in as the uh, seventh rider, in the championship was a key result. Um, but, Dre, I want to give a shout-out in this first race. He didn't make the showdown in the end. Um, but Christian Iden's race one performance was stunning, um, given that in those conditions where half the circuit was dry and half of it, the half of it from around Hangar Strait all the way down to the Formula One pits by, down by Club and Abbey, was soaking wet. Yet Christian Iden decided to start that race on a slick rear tyre, and he still finished sixth. He's a lunatic. That is, the, that is the, that's the only logical explanation for this. Only two Christian. riders in that first race even bothered with slicks. Sylvain Gintoli was a complete loony. He started on slicks front and rear and ended up way out of the back of lap. Well, he came through to 13th in the end, but he was a minute and 20 off the lead. Christian Eden was the only other guy. He was, how did he get sixth? I, 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 I don't know. Like, we've seen this before in MotoGP. Remember the years of Stefan Bradl at the Saxon ring when he thought, you know what? We're going to have a wet setup, but we're going to put carbon brakes on this thing, and we're going to basically make a Frankenstein's monster of a hybrid wet dry bike and see what happens. And poor Stefan led like five laps and was completely curb stomped by the field afterwards. This was the other way around. Like, it didn't come the other way through. And, I, like, I can't believe. 
he put a, a wet front tire on a slick rear was able to make it work and was semi-competitive and he was in no man's land by the end of that race but sixth place given the given that it's, this bike was probably not fit for either of those conditions really and not, certainly not certainly not optimal the, the stones on this man, just mm. unbelievable stuff from Christian didn't there. It was a fantastic performance. Yeah, as you say, if there was one rider in those conditions that would probably make it work, it's Itton, who's who's made a bit of a reputation of being very, very good in wet conditions or mixed conditions. Famously, I think he got his first pole, didn't he, in BSB? Um, he did. In wet conditions in Assen. Um, and he, he made the most of it, finishing sixth in that race just behind... Um, I say just behind, one position behind Luke Mossy, but 14 seconds back down the road, given how spaced out the field was uh, in that first race. Uh, Jason O'Halloran finished 11th, another of the showdown contenders, um, which meant that he was fairly safe heading into race two, even though he wasn't officially confirmed in the showdown. Uh, one other rider who deserves to mention, by the way, from that race, race one, because we're focusing a lot on the showdown contenders here, Luke, uh, John Hopkins, um, who has had, a, has had a mixed time in BSB since returning. Um, injuries and um, God knows what else has, uh, has hindered him over the last few years on that motor Piero Ducati. Uh, he completed the rostrum in third, uh, his first podium uh, of the season. Um, into race two then, and the only race that we got that took place in anything resembling dry conditions, Dre. And uh, James Ellison did his very best to deny him from the back of the grid, but in the end, the victory went to Josh Brooks to double stamp his showdown position. Um, and this is a guy who... We almost forget, don't we, given how strong a position he looks in now, given the showdown position and how the format resets everything. It's easy to forget how much pressure this guy was under heading into Silverstone. He was the guy that we thought was perhaps most under threat um, in that top six. And boy, did he come up with an answer. He did indeed. That was that was exactly what Josh Brooks needed. Only Jake Dixon left Silverstone with more points by one than Josh Brooks did all weekend and again he would have he probably would have finished on the podium in race three but we'll get to why that was such a disaster in a minute but brooks was very strong I, again dry or wet again you know what brooks is like he we all know that the guy's got enormous cojones so he's going to be fearless and he will ride the nuts off that thing regardless of, of track condition and yeah very very close to um to um, a very very close fight with venison there for that race win on again the yamaha first and second very interesting that uh you know, those those two the, the two main yamaha front runners were at the front again in this race but uh yeah brooks again very very strong um ellison and burn right behind as well and, and yeah a very very competitive race and brooks just about coming out on top and as you say a guy that was looking a bit precarious coming into this one because of his lack of consistency but uh you know the two very strong performances in race one and two cemented his place and that, again more than worthy of it again a, a pair of great performances for that for the anvil team yeah ellison uh, missing out then with that vic on that victory the victory going to brooks the red flag came out with four laps to go just after two-thirds distance um very different circumstances to the red flag that came in two-thirds distance into race three but we'll tell you about that shortly um in race two the red flag came out because sean winfield on the other anvil hyatt tag yamaha blew up and dropped oil on the circuit keep your oh. conspiracy theories to yourselves um <laughs> james ellison um not happy um not that he was pointing any fingers but it was rather ironic that uh, a blow-up for brooks's teammate eventually handed him that race to victory uh, from ellison shaky burn in third that was his only podium 
of the weekend uh, in third. Um, one guy we must give a shout-out to, Dodre. I know you want to, because um, mm-hmm. we haven't had many chances to mention him this year in BSB. But the first time he's led a race all year, and the f- first time he's been anywhere near the top four, fourth position in race two for Sylvain Gintoli on the Suzuki. The Ginter's Revenge Tour is alive and well. <laughs> Thank heavens. <laughs> like I was, I was sitting back here, fist popping, like, "Yes, go on, Ginter's, get in there!" Uh, oh, that was uh, that, that was awesome. I'm, I'm glad that you know he's given you know that by, by a mile that's Suzuki's best result of the year um, for, for, for Ginter's to finish in fourth. And only a second off the win. A very strong performance indeed. Um, was leading, was right in the thick of it, challenging for the victory there. Was a, was a little bit overwhelmed towards the end, but um, overall still an incredible performance. And hey, it looks like these changeable conditions really has a knack of equalising the field. And yeah, that was a, a very, very um, strong performance from Ginters. And nice to see the Suzuki are up there still. They, they, they can get in there and be competitive every once in a while. Yeah, it's been a good weekend for Suzuki, all told, in superbike terms. Of course, Tony Elias, we mentioned this last week, Tony Elias going for the Moto America title. He did clinch it last weekend. Yes! Congratulations, <laughs> Tony. Um, that new Suzuki has won a championship. It's won the Moto America <laughs> title um, this year. Um, Gintoli nowhere near a championship this year, but it does look as if uh, he's heading back to World Superbikes um, as it goes. Um, the rumours are building that he is going to be on the second of the Pachetti Kawasaki's in World Superbikes next year alongside the young Turk uh, Razgati Oglu um, in that Pachetti team. The uh, Leon Haslam, Haslam to Pachetti rumours have gone very, very quiet um, in the last Sorry. month or so. Um, so it looks like Razgati Oglu and Gintoli are going to be their riders um, next year. Um, Haslam's weekend uh, completed with a third DNF in race three. Um, but by no means was he the only one who fell and failed to finish in that race three. To set the scene, we had four of the six showdown spots confirmed heading into uh, race three at the weekend. Byrne and Haslam, who we mentioned, were confirmed. Brooks booked his spot with that win in race two, as did Peter Hickman, although he only finished eighth in race two. That was enough to uh, mathematically confirm his place in the showdown positions. It's left four going for two spots in the final race of the weekend. Uh, Jason O'Halloran, who was all but safe, just needed a few points to confirm his spot, and that was on the basis that the guys in seventh and eighth were going to be up near the front, which they weren't. Um, the real story was... Sixth and seventh, Jake Dixon and Luke Mossy, who were dead level on points heading into that third race of the weekend, and Christian Iden, who was just a couple of points further back. Um, now, we discussed this briefly off air, Ray, so we'll, we'll discuss it on air now in terms of the conditions of that third race. They were appalling. Um, Awful conditions. Were, were British Superbikes almost backed into a corner by the showdown format? Because, of course, this was the last race for the showdown to be decided the cutoff was at the end of this race and they needed this race to be run essentially otherwise um the guys in seventh and eighth will have missed out on a potential race to earn their spot in the championship show so did british superbikes almost find themselves painted into a corner here and then they had to run the race <sighs> this is a tricky one um for some added context this was on this was scheduled to be a 14 lap race now for those guys that aren't aware of the rules like a BSB race has to go two thirds distance in order to for full points to be given. The magic number in this case, then if you're good at your numbers, means lap ten was the magic number. If the race goes ten laps, they can call it and they can still give out full points, which I think was what BSB was trying to do. Oh, it's clear that's what they're trying to do because as soon as Limpo completed the tenth lap, bang, out came the red flag. 
yeah, it was like, almost like, instant. Yeah, it was almost it was like 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 so you saw the graphic two first distances done and then bang, red flag came out. Yeah, like, we've ah. seen enough. Yeah, yeah, it's like hmm, like it's it's like you weren't even trying to hide this, were you guys? Um, yeah, it was. I, I watched the race live, and me and a couple of other people on Twitter all were kind of in the same boat where we all just said they it stopped being a race around lap six. It started becoming a matter of keep your bike upright, otherwise don't even bother, basically. Because, I mean, is a race safe if only seven guys are coming over the line and only three of them on the same racing yeah, lap? So that's a third of the field were still running, and there was still a third of the race to go. Yeah, I think, I mean, again, to give it into perspective, race two, fastest lap of the race, 206.8. Fastest lap of the race in, in, in race three, 229 from Christian Iden. 23 seconds a lap slower. Like, that's how wet the track was. It called it after lap six. Um, but as you pointed out, Lewis, this is the problem. They would built up the showdown format and they had gone all in on the showdown format. And of course, this was coming up towards quite a tight finale with three guys basically fighting for, for two spots with, um, you know, especially with a Halloran going down at the first corner. I was like, uh-oh. Mm. Um, it opened the door for Ridden and Dixon and potentially Mossy as well to still find a way in. And when I saw Iden go down, it basically crashing in a straight line, uh, and I thought this this was avoidable. I thought that was avoidable. I, I, that, that didn't need. Eden did not need to push, um, and it's a shame because he probably felt like he had to, yeah. given that they weren't going to call it. So, like, it's, it's because in, in real time at that point, Eden was in a showdown position. Yeah, and like, I I, I want to say props to the RAF team for telling Dixon this is okay. Like, this like slow don't, don't, down. Slow down, you've got a whole lap advantage over James Westmoreland in fourth place. Like, there is no need for you to push this. Like, this is okay. Like, you're in. Just just keep doing what you're doing. But ugh, I, 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 like, I feel terrible for Iden and Mossy, who were, you know, involved in accidents that may have been avoidable if the race was suspended at a certain point. Because I think under normal circumstances, I don't think that race would have continued. But as you say, I think... They made it. The way the red flags came out as soon as lap 11 started kind of suggests to me that they were just trying to ride it out till lap 10 so they could give out full points. And that probably was the least messy solution to the problem. Mm. But it was probably also very dangerous. And I mean, again, two thirds of the field crashed, mm. like, including luckily. including five of the six riders that would ultimately make the showdown. And in terms yeah. of the eight riders that were in showdown contention going in, the, the four that were in plus the four that could get in, only one of them was still running at the end. Um, and that was that was Jay Dixon in the end. And um, we'll, we'll talk about the man that won the race in a moment because he certainly deserves a mention. He's come close a number of times that he's finally won a race. We'll mention him in a second. Um, but the, the big story of that race was who was going to get in the showdown. And Paul Luke Mossy, who doesn't make it um, as a result of that, and even poorer Christian Nidden, who, as I say, was two laps away from getting in. Um, when he crashed, because of course the red flags came out. A couple was the of, fastest man on track yeah, when he went down as well. Yeah, the red flags came out a couple of minutes after. Um, but we have to salute Jake Dixon in third place in that race, a podium point to go with his um, podium finish, um, which now benefits him with the showdown upon us. Um, 
Now, a lot of it is owed to luck, of course, Dre, given those conditions. It's almost, you're almost a hostage to fortune that your bike, you don't aquaplane off and you don't fall off the bike yeah. through no fault of your own. But we almost forget this guy's 21 years old. He showed remarkable maturity, if nothing else, to stay on board and stay afloat in that third race to get in the showdown. Yeah, very good point. Yeah, it's easy to forget that this is Jake Dixon's rookie year and he's only 21 years old and he's had multiple podiums, a double race victory, and is now the youngest man to ever make the showdown format since his inception. Um, he's still only 21 years old. And like this kid's going to have a super future if he keeps this going, because that was an incredibly mature, disciplined performance given a very extreme circumstance, which could have caught, which caught out many a much more experienced rider in those conditions. I mean, you have guys like O'Halloran who didn't even make a racing lap and some incredible names that basically didn't didn't make half a dozen laps out there. But Dixon, Dixon knew. And again, his, his team did a great job in, in emphasizing to the kid, listen, you're OK. You've got this. Just keep it upright. Like, ride it out. Like, you you will get into the showdown where you are right now. So I'm glad the RAF um, regular reserve Kawasaki team told Jake, listen, you're in. Don't don't put don't push it here. Um, and Jake responded and, you know, kept the bike upright, kept it safe, did exactly what he needed to do and got in. And that's that's exactly what counted. And that's why he's in the showdown right now. Yeah. And we saw the the positive sides, I suppose, of this showdown format, because it was it was noticeable to all of us. The the pure emotion amongst the RAF reserves, uh, RAF regular reserves team, um, the the privateer Lee Hardy racing squad um, that runs this team. Um just the emotion coming from their team boss when he was asked about this afterwards and just how much it means to this little team to be part of the championship showdown and with a real chance, a real chance of actually winning this um, over the next Absolutely. three rounds of the season. It meant so much for this team to to be in there alongside the likes of Byrne and BYZ Ducati and Haslam and JG Speedfit Kawasaki um, and Honda Racing with O'Halloran and Josh Brooks with the Anvil Haya Yamaha team. And these are some heavyweight British superbike names that, that Jake Dixon and the RAF regular reserves team are joining um, in the showdown. And it meant the world to them um, to book their spot in the showdown. However, they did it um, with the circumstances of that third race. It meant so much to them. And it was, it was brilliant to see that, that raw emotion um, that, that sport mm -hmm. can create um, for that team. Um, another man who certainly felt emotion in that race, Dan Limfoot. Uh, boy, has this guy come close a number of times to winning a, a BSB race. Beaten on the final corner by his teammate at Alton Park last year. Beaten, as it turned out, on the final lap at Branzo this year when Burnover took him just before the red flag came out. Um, right. And whatever the circumstances, Dre, however many finishers there were, Dan Linfoot is a British Superbike race winner. And boy, does he deserve to hear that. About goddamn time, Linfoot. Seriously, you've been you've been in and around this mix for three years now for crying out loud. Um, but God, so far best Keith Hewitt impression there. But on a serious level, yeah, absolutely. Congrats to Dan Linfoot. That was a I was picking him not to fall off. Yeah, me too. I was like, come on, Dan, dude, please don't bin this now. Like, and obviously, also important first first win for the brand new Fireblade as well. Worth pointing out as well, but. Absolutely. I mean, I'm glad that, that Honda's got a win to go into the showdown with because they've worked really, really hard to get that bike up to competitive standard. And it's getting better and stronger by the weekend. I mean, a pole position for Halloran um, in, in qualifying and then Linford to get its first win. Two major boxes ticked this weekend for the Honda racing team. And again, a very remarkable first win for Linford, who 
was incredibly fast in what was some awful conditions, and he was able to keep Laverty behind him as well, despite that's the, his, that's his the thing. Pressure. Yeah, I mean, the, the, it was not like he could just cruise around and like 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 Dixon could, where Dixon basically had to just make sure he didn't fall <laughs> off. Livefoot had Laverty chasing him down um, through that's that race, so he had to stay on it. And that was the hilarious thing after that race, Trey, was that. Michael Laverty, probably the only guy in Northamptonshire that wasn't happy with the red flag because he was chasing Limpot down. And he was thinking <laughs> after the race saying, and do you know what? I thought I had the pace to catch him. <laughs> of course Laverty yeah. would say that knowing he was chasing him down. Um, Sod's law and all that. The one time Laverty stands out in uh, this this season, really, it's been, it's been not been a good se- season for Michael, but um, absolutely the first time he stands out in a proper performance this year, of course, is the one where he runs out of laps to catch the guy. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a shame for Laverty on that one. But again, a, a fantastic win for Linford and a real milestone for him. Um, a, a great victory. And I'm glad he's finally got one um, under his belt. Yeah, let's uh, let's take stock then and how the weekend finished. Um, race one result. Glenn Irwin, the winner from Josh Brooks and John Hopkins. Uh, with Dixon taking fourth ahead of Luke Mossy, Christian Iden, Taylor McKenzie in seventh, Kuba Smart eighth, Peter Aikman ninth and Brad Ray tenth. Race two saw Brooks beat Ellison and Byrne uh, with Gintoli fourth, O'Halloran in fifth, Brad Ray sixth, um, so two Suzuki's in the top six, Christian Iden seventh ahead of Hickman, Dixon and Hopkins. Race three result, this won't take long, Linfoot the winner from Laverty, um, Dixon third, those are the only three on the lead lap, it was basically BSB's answer to Monaco 96. Um, with James Westmoreland fourth a lap down, Jakob Smertz fifth a lap down, Brad Ray sixth a lap down and Lee Jackson last but he's still got nine points for finishing in seventh place. Everyone else not classified because they weren't running when the red flag came out, which leaves us with a showdown six of Shaky Byrne, um, Leon Haslam, Josh Brooks, Jake Dixon, Peter Hickman, and Jason O'Halloran. A Ducati, a Kawasaki, a Yamaha, another Kawasaki for a privateer team, a BMW, and a Honda. A nice mix of five manufacturers um, in that top six. Um... But we have to first of all mention uh, one of the riders who didn't make it, um, the rider who was left stranded in seventh uh, in the British Superbike Championship standings, Dre. Uh, he was another of those to crash in uh, race three. And given the injury, which uh, really blew a hole in his season, we can't help but feel for Luke Mossy. Yeah, they, 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 uh, it was a very brave Matthew Roberts who decided to pull Mossy in for an interview after after race three. I was in uh, background material, and you could tell. Mossy was putting a brave face on it, but he was dejected. You could tell that he was just... He put a brave face. He said, well, you know, it just wasn't meant to be this year with the injury and some of the bad luck. And and, and I, I like that James Whitson tried to chin him up a bit by saying, well, listen, man, this has been this has been the real breakout year for you. You've proven that you can win races and that you're up there with the elite in the class now. And yeah, there's absolutely stuff you can take away from that for Mossy. But... It's easy to forget he was here last year as well. He was right in. He, he was in that showdown contention. And he's, if anything, the sad thing is the injuries kind of made him take a little bit of a mini step back this year. Yeah, when he when to... he got his injury around um, Silverstone time, he was lead. Uh, sorry, around Snetterton time, he was leading the championship outright. Yeah, and now he's got nothing to show for it outside of a pace uh, a chase for the paperweight. Um, no, guarantee, no guarantees wins that either. 
No, because again, Eden and Ellison are right there as well. Of course, we know how good they can be on any given day. And yeah, I'm, I'm gutted for Mossy. He, he absolutely, I think, has been one of the top six fastest guys of the season. But it just goes to show you that, the, that this season has been so competitive. And like, look at someone like like Jason O'Halloran, who until Silverstone had had like just ultra consistent results. Like he, like that was the first time I think all season long that Silverstone he finished the race outside of the top 10. Um, and he got in purely on the back of consistency. Well, until, um, until that monsoonical third race, he'd finished every race in the points. That was his first DNF of the entire campaign. Um, and yeah, I, I feel for Mossy. He, he, if it shows the fine margins of, of sport, but in particular this format, because had he made the top six, Luke Mossy, on podium credits, he would be only 15 points off the outright championship lead right now. As it is, right, right, way, yeah, but as it is, because the way the podium points reset everything, he's 360 points behind Shaky Burn, um, who leads it. Um, we certainly feel for Luke Mossy, but, but let, let's briefly, before we move on to, to MotoGP, talk about the six championship contenders that we have. Um, yeah. And really, how this is probably the most open showdown we've ever had, Dre. Shaky Burn leads it by six points from Leon Haslam. Uh, Josh Brooks, from looking like he might not make it at all, is now third, only 10 off the lead. Um, mm-hmm. Jake Dixon in fourth is only 14 off the lead. Peter Hickman is within a race of the of the championship leader. He's 23 off the lead. And P- Jason O'Halloran, who is the outsider, in sixth, 29 off the lead. Um, for the first time, really, I think since the showdown format has been introduced, where we've normally gone into it with two, maybe three genuine championship contenders, I think you can make a real, real case this time, Dre, that we've got four, if not five, genuine championship challenges in this. I think so. I mean, the start I pointed out last week when I was on was that this showdown has not been won from outside the top three. And I said it before we went on the air. I think a lot of people are sleeping on Jake Dixon. I really do. I think Dixon has got a real chance of winning this championship. Mm. Um, he like he has had a, a plethora of really strong finishes and it's easy to forget that like shaky burn has had like four dnfs in his last seven races like right like again like shaky and haslam have gone through really bad spells right now and have probably not been fully punished for it because of the inconsistencies of the other showdown contenders around them yeah they've only Both... had one race finish between them in the last four races yeah like it's it's they've had bad times. I know Haslam was interviewed in MCN the other day saying, listen, this is like a reset button for me right now because Haslam's second half of the regular season was pretty poopy by his standards. Um, again, and same with Shaky, just a, just a handful of podiums in the last three weekends. Um, just not, Shaky is not on the level that he was and he's normally his dominant best and that opens the the door to people like Brooks, who, again, has the ability to win any given race on paper. Dixon has had ridiculous weekends. Obviously, we talk about Knock Hill, but he's had a, a string of other podiums like at Fruxton, like at Cadwell Park. He obviously had that third place at Silverstone here, so he, it shows he can ride in the wet as well. Um, so Dixon could be in there. Hickman, through sheer consistency, could be in the mix as well because, again, he is the guy that's always around the top five now. Hickman is right up there now, and all it would take would be a couple of incidents or maybe a clash between two title rivals, and, and, you know, Hickman could take full advantage of that. So, yeah, there could be four or five guys in the mix. I think it's a battle of four between the top four, Shaky, Haslam, Brooks, and I think a lot of people are sleeping on Dixon. 
Mm. Yeah, he's got a real chance. And Dixon has shown that if he turns up on a weekend and it clicks, he, he's, he's capable of pulling a double out of the bag as he did at Knock Hill. Um, so who knows? It is, it is, as I say, the most open showdown we've ever had. Um, we, it starts this weekend at Alton Park with uh, a round. Of course, we've been to Alton Park already once this season. Um, for a British Superbike round. Uh, for reference, that round earlier in the season saw a win apiece for Haslam and Byrne. Um, of course, Haslam was most notable for his uh, outing in the second race where he uh, torpedoed James Ellison when his bike broke down in that second race. <laughs> um, but uh, but they're, they're back there this weekend for two races. Two more at Assen two weeks from now. And then the triple header finale at Brands Hatch around the GP circuit in mid-October. Um, it's set up beautifully for the British Superbike Championship showdown, and it all gets underway uh, this weekend. Uh, one showdown is uh, already well underway in MotoGP, and it gets better and better by the weekend. It continued at Mazzano, and we will talk about that next. Let's head to Mizano then for the uh, latest instalment in what is a captivating MotoGP World Championship battle. Um, a battle that was a four-way fight is now almost certainly a three-way fight, um, given the fact that the men in fourth and fifth in the championship heading into Mizano, one of them didn't even race because of his injury, Valentino Rossi, and one of them sank without trace in wet conditions in Danny Pedrosa. We may well mention him a little bit later on. Um, so as far as the three championship contenders go, Mark Marquez, Andrea Davizioso, and Maverick Vinales. Um, wet conditions greeted us for the uh, race itself uh, on Sunday, which was bad news for Maverick Vinales, who'd put the Yamaha on pole position on the Saturday, but he notoriously hates the wet. Um, so he uh, cruised around to fourth. The race victory was decided between Mark Marquez and Danilo Petrucci. Petrucci, always good for a good outing in wet conditions. But unfortunately, Dre, once again, only good enough for second as Mark Marquez produced another last lap from the gods. Oh, jeez. Like, the Nenna must be sitting at home thinking, what's it going to take for me to win one of these wet races? Like Fourth, second place in MotoGP. <laughs> He must be getting really sick of this. Um, again, like the only thing that beat him was an absolutely sensational final lap from Mark Marquez. And like, you could kind of see where it was going with about three or four laps to go, but I'm not sure if Mark would have had like the pace to stay in front how he did. Because he, he was setting it up all the way through. He was going to make the move on the final lap. And he did into turn one, just, just better on the brakes into turn one ahead of Danilo Petrucci um, and just phenomenal stuff from Marquez yet again. This was, I think this up there with one of Marquez's finest vi race victories. It was just a, a, a incredibly well-measured ride from him all the way through. And he had a couple of wobbles at the start of the race, which we, which we know Marquez is often famous for. Like one of the saves he had, I think through turn five was just phenomenal. Again, he just, just puts his knee down and somehow he doesn't crash. Yeah, I mean, there's a still image of it on Twitter. It looks like he's off to the car park. It's 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 ridiculous. Like 
the man defies the laws of physics sometimes. Like, he, he is insane. Um, and we'll talk about, you know, the, the, how that opened up for Marquez in a minute because a certain leader in red didn't have such a good day. Um, but again, like Petrucci was doing the best he could from the front and Marquez was eyeing it up and eyeing it up. He saw, like, he saw where he was faster and he pulled the pin on that final lap. And again, he won the race by a second. 1.2 more or less by the time it was all said and done. Set the just fastest just, uh, lap of the race on the final lap. How? <laughs> how does he do this? Yeah. That, that final lap included an overtake. Yeah. Like, how does that happen? Like, when it like, happens, as often as it happens with Mark Marquez, you know it's not, it's not luck. It's it's just brilliance. Because he famously did this at Phillip Island two years ago when he he chased down a 0.8 second disadvantage to Jorge Lorenzo to win on the final lap in, in Australia. Um, in the race um, that Valentino Rossi would probably look back on and say that cost him his world title when you know they beat him on that same final lap. Um, mm. But but just extraordinary how, how Mark Marquez just does this. Just this, it, it looked like... I mean, take Daniel Petrucci. He he was reading this race like we all were, watching this from home. And um, Daniel Petrucci, bless him, said, and I quote, I didn't think Mark would attack as he's fighting for the title. I was wrong. <laughs> This is this is the like this is the thing with Marquez like like Marquez has got that championship bone in him where he if if he knows it's not happening he will ease off like you see he has learned that in the last year and a half but if Marquez can smell a victory he will go for it make no the wind yeah yeah like he has got that he has got like this seventh gear in him that. I don't think on, on his day he has a gear that nobody else on the planet can reach. It is insane that again, like this is no longer a fluke. He's doing this for fun half the time. It is insane that he just has this seventh gear in him where if he if he, if he can smell blood and he can he can sense the victories on the table, he will go for it. I think the words he summed up best was in Austria after the race in the, in the fantastic fight with Dovier. He came out in second where he said. I wouldn't have been able to sleep at night if I hadn't tried. Mm. And that's that's Mark Marquez to a T, and that is why he's the best bike rider on the planet for me, because like what that man can do sometimes is superhuman, and that was just another absolutely insane final lap from 93. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's part of his genius that he's able to ride that bike in such a way that if any other rider tried to ride in the same way, they'd fall off. Um, it, it's, just, it's just incredible and it's it's one of my abiding memories from, from going to Silverstone this year for the MotoGP where um, I was lucky enough to, to be in the paddock and to go to different rider brief, briefings and I went to Andre Davizioso's on the Saturday after qualifying and, and David Emmett posted a question to him about, about Mark Marquez and, um, and the way he's riding and um, he's sort of saying you know Mark Marquez is able to ride in such a way that he could save accidents and he's even as the question hasn't even been asked yet the question's about halfway through and Dredo Vizioso is already smiling and shaking his head because <laughs> yeah, he's, he like, he's like yep yeah, yep yeah, I know I don't know how he does it either um and um the question basically was do you think Mark Marquez can ride this in such a way and yet still not basically do this in a race and not fall off um, and Davizioso continued to smile and shake his head and basically said, have you just started watching Mark Marquez? <laughs> like, like, is this new to you? Yeah, this, is what, this is what he's been doing his whole career. He, he just he has a way of doing this where he's able to ride on the edge of crashing and not crash um, and, and find a level of performance and pace that no other rider can find um, in, in any condition, be it dry or wet. Um, and it, it's a crucial one for the championship. I mean, it's there's two ways of looking at it, I suppose, because let's not forget, if Marquez's Honda hadn't blown up at the end of Hangar Straight last time out, he might well be a race clear by now. 
um, in the points because um, he, he he is level at the moment with Davizio. So you, he, who knows? He might have won that British Grand Prix. We'll never know. Um, but he certainly would have been on the podium. Um, but as it is, that nine-point advantage that Davizioso pulled out of Silverstone has now been cancelled out, and it's essentially now, Dre, a five-race championship with Marquez and Davizioso all square. And good news for Marquez. What's next weekend? Aragon, anti-clockwise, and a race he won at last year. Like this, like this, this could be the start of Marquez starting to turn the screw uh, because he won both this and Mategi last year, and he's very good at Phillip Island. This is the part of the calendar where it starts to come back towards Marquez again. Low grip Valencia finale as well, where the Hondas were very strong at her as well. So, like. This could be the beginning of the end right here because, like, Dovi's going to have to dig something very, very deep out now, I think, to win this title because, I mean, look at the bookie situation. Marquez is 2-5 to five now as title favourite despite the fact he's only leader right now on countback because he's got more second places. But look, you know where the money's going right now because the way the season plays out now on paper, Marquez should be very strong between now and the end of the season. They are all places that either Honda or he himself has gone very well at in recent times. And yeah, it is essentially a five race championship right now. And like on current form, it's like Dovi has either a really good day where he wins or a day where he finishes fifth or sixth. And that could be what ultimately comes back to harm Dovi in the end is that he's not going to, he's not a guaranteed podium sitter. He's had three in a row, but he's at, if he has a bad day, he's not finishing in the top three, especially with how competitive people like Maverick Vinales and Johan Zarco. Um, if it rains, Dino Petrucci will play a factor in this now. Like he's he's as good a wet river rider yeah, as any. Especially if it rains, yeah. Uh, yeah, on the, like yeah, on the planet, he might be the world's best whip of a rider. Hmm. Petrucci, well, period. We expected so. him. Incidentally, um, while we're talking about Petrucci, we expected him to play a championship role um, last weekend because. As the race was unfolding, um, the quotes from Petrucci from earlier in the weekend were dragged up about how he had openly said that he would be prepared to help Andrea Davizioso win, and Ducati, therefore, <laughs> win this year's World Championship. Uh, now, he chose not to do that on the final lap where there was the obvious quotes of, or the questions of, is Petrucci just going to sit up and let Dobby take the 20 points for second place? Petrucci chose not to do that because he said it would be a bad look for the sport if he did so oh really um now now i know already dre what you're going to say because you said it on twitter at the time um in terms of what petrucci did uh two years ago um first well, the first thing i'd say on that is i think a final race is a little different to six races out um mm. but i mean daniel petrucci he as you say he's going to play a key role and he's already now openly said that if he can help andre de and ducati in any way He's going to go and do it. Yeah, so... Essentially be a rear gunner. Yeah, so, like... Okay, so it'll be a bad look if you help Dovi out in... So, so what situation would it not be a bad look, Danilo? Because, well, as we all know, and as we've seen in the recent era of MotoGP, bike fans don't like team orders. Mm. At all. Like... In Formula One, it's a bit more understandable. Like I think there's a bit more of a greater, like, known quantity that team orders is more of a necessary evil in Formula One than it is. I I saw on Twitter David Emmett straight up said like there is no place for team orders in MotoGP. Now I actually disagree with that to be honest mm, yeah, with you. Too. 
like because it's motorsport. Like it, the teams will do anything yeah. to win. All um, of this money that Ducati is spending on hammerhead fairings and stuff, and they're going to let perhaps one of their own riders cost them a world championship. Yeah, sod the spirit of the rules. If you can find a way to make your man win, you will do it. If it's in, if it's within the rule book, or or sometimes if it's not in the rule book, for all we know. But like that's what teams compete for in motorsport. Like like the spirit of this is not cricket. The spirit of the rules sometimes do not apply here. So as much as like I I am I am firmly in the camp of yeah, team orders are just going to be a necessary evil when it comes to motorsport and. Like Danilo, I get it. I get you want to help your brand now because my basically Ducati essentially saved his career. Um, I think he feels like he owes them one, which is probably why he's done it. But as I mentioned, Valencia 2015, he was more than willing to get out of the way to help Valentino Rossi, his fellow Italian and a good friend and his hero, try to win a title then. And that was not a good look in my opinion either because, listen, you, you're you riding for a team. Yeah, you're that, riding was, for... that wasn't even team orders. That was doctor's orders. That was <laughs> very good, yeah. very good. Um, like, um, so, like, yeah, you're absolutely right in that sense. I mean, yeah, it was doctor's orders, and more or less, Danilo was like, okay, I, like, Rossi's my idol. I'm going to move that. You're telling me that wasn't a bad look? You basically parked your car, or parked your bike at the side of the road and let him roll by because you knew it was, you took a look behind you, you saw it was Valentino. I was like, oh, I'm out of the way. It's Valley. Um, so, like, Dovi, what, what's the line here for for making the sport look yeah, bad? I think, I think Petrucci almost, uh, Petrucci actually said of the race, he kind of wished for that scenario to come to actually come true. Um, he almost would have preferred it if Dovi was right behind him. I think, it would, I think what would have looked bad is if he basically just sat up and waited um, at the final corner. That, yeah, because there was Dovi 10 seconds round. between. Yeah, yeah Dovi really faded in those final few laps. Um, but um, as he said after the race, um, yeah, first of all, he was talking about Mark and how he thought he was uh, going to play the championship game, and he didn't. Um, he says, I thought about team owners, and I hoped that he was close to me, um, i.e. that if Dovey was right behind him, it wouldn't have looked quite so bad. He could have just waved him past. Um, but because Dovey was so far back, he couldn't really do that. He says, but I would like to help play a part in the final races if I can. Um, and you can almost see it. And I think Jorge Lorenzo has pretty much said the same thing, hasn't he, Dre? That he's he's he wants to win races. He doesn't want to help Dobby out. But if it comes to it in the final couple of rounds and the championship's on the line, he'll help. Um, and you can almost see with the likes of Danny Pedrosa and Valentino Rossi likely to play a role. You've got Cal Crutchlow, who's a, a Honda contracted rider. You've got the Tech 3 boys as well in there. You can almost see these final two or three races almost becoming manufacturer wars, can't you? Yeah, like this is the first time I'm going to be really seeing this because right now you can make the case that all three main contenders have a potential rear gunner that can help them out. If it's a wet race, Danilo will most likely help Andrea out. Lorenzo potentially could help out too. Like if you're Honda, would Danny would Danny Pedrosa be willing to help Marquez out? Yeah. I'd be more willing to say yes because Danny Pedrosa just seems like that sort of guy. Yeah, Danny where... Pedrosa, for instance, who notoriously goes well at places like Malaysia and Aragon that are still to come. He could be an accidental spoiler in that sense anyway. So Pedrosa, like, he, he goes very strong at Malaysia, for example. So one of his best rounds, as a matter of fact, he won there. That, the most forgotten MotoGP yes. win of all time, given, um, well, you know what happened in Malaysia that year. Um, like, again, they've got a potential return. And, of course, we, we've talked about this before, the return of Valentino Rossi, most likely for Mategi onwards. Would, would Rossi be willing to help Maverick out, given that, Maverick is starting to drift out of that range. I mean, he's not won a race in eight rounds now. So, 
like Maverick all of a sudden is not putting enough points together to really get involved here. He's drifting out of this fight slowly and Rossi's not going to be back until Mategi at best. So would Rossi be willing to help Maverick out? We don't know yet. So they're, like all three of the main runners could potentially have someone to help them out and back them up if it comes down to it. And that alone also adds another layer of injury. It does. Uh, in terms of the outright championship then, Marquez and Dibizioso are level on points. And let's talk Dibizioso briefly before we move on um, to Maverick. Because um, third place was by no means a bad result for Andre Dibizioso. Although when he saw the conditions and saw it raining, he might have felt he had a real opportunity for another race victory, given how well he goes um, in those conditions. And given what's to come, you, you, I, I, I mean, I, I'm with you. I'm inclined to think that Dibizioso... He's now a very much an underdog against Mark, given that the circuits to come favour Mark. But we almost have to be careful of saying that, don't we, Dre? Because in some ways, Dovizioso and Ducati have made an entire season of proving us all wrong. Very true. Very, very true. And it wouldn't take much for Dovi to, to you know, really put another blow into the Marquez scene because it's been a season of battling these blows that Marquez... The Marquez has had the three big issues this season. The Argentina DNF, the, the DNF at Le Mans, and, of course, the crash at Silverstone, or the, I said the engine failure at Silverstone, which was a real hammer blow for Marquez's title chances. I think I'm right in but, saying, never in the MotoGP era has someone won the championship with three DNFs in a season. That would be something, wouldn't it? Like, especially given that Mark won it last year with two feuding Yamahas behind him, and he still won it three rounds early. Yeah. Um, which, again, was just one of the most ridiculous... Like, Marquez only deals in ridiculous shit at this point. It's, it's, it's insane. Um, but, again, it could be a triple DNF and he could still win the title because that's the sort of thing that Marquez does. I reckon if, he, if, if Marquez can get to 300 points, he'll win the title. Maybe even 280 might be enough to get him over the line on this one because, like, Dovi, I think, is still just a little bit hit and miss for me. But, again, the GP17... Has the GP17 has only proven as time has gone on that you know it surprises people and it, it performs where you don't expect it to, and you know the key rounds for them could be like Philip Island where it could be a bit more of a balanced field and how Ducati will handle the lower grip um, of, of Valencia for example, but Ducati's been nothing but a surprise all season long and it's found ways to win when we least expected it to. And that's been the beauty of Dovi's season. So the, who's to say there's not one more surprise out of that GP17 between now and the end of the season? Mm, yeah, uh, in terms of the championship odds uh, with uh, Skybet, who I'm looking at at the moment, um, Marquez is 2-5, to five, as Dre mentioned earlier on. Andre Dovizioso is out to 3-1. to one. Um, and Jesus. I, and and I, know, I know you think he's drifting, but I really, really like this 7-1 to one of Maverick Vinales right now. Um, that's good value. Who, who is, right, he's 16 points off the lead, which ain't a lot. Um, let's be honest. Um, and Maverick Vinales will have been as gutted as anyone to see the wet conditions on Sunday, given that he put the Yamaha on pole uh, on the Saturday. Right. First pole position since, I believe, Mugello um, back in June. Um, and um, obviously, on paper, Mizano would have been one of the Yamaha rounds that remain on the calendar. Um, but Maverick Vinales is notorious for not being much good in wet conditions. So for him to finish fourth... Um, in those conditions, for me, is quite a result um, for Maverick it's a, it's a good result. in those conditions, given he beat guys like Jack Miller and Scott Redding, who are wet weather specialists. Um, and it's pretty clear, Dre. Obviously, we saw the breakthrough that they made at Silverstone with the, the fact that he made a soft tyre last the distance, then goes to Mizano and puts it on pole. 
it does seem, based on current history, that there's nothing wrong with that Yamaha anymore. Doesn't look like it. That, that, that Yamaha looks like it's back at something near its optimal. And again, like Maverick would have absolutely been in the mix if the race had been dry. Like, yeah, he has not got the confidence in the wet that Marquez or other riders does yet. I mean, it, it's it's easy to forget this is his first season on a Yamaha because he's been so good this season. But like as you say, like seven to one is a pretty great value for, for Maverick Vinales at that price because like it would own like. Like I think Maverick could easily win at Mategi. Yeah. I think he could easily win at Australia if, if the right cards fall. Actually, he's, he's no slouch on Aragon either. No, no, he isn't. Um, so it's going to be one of those races where I think, you know, if Maverick can steal, he needs to win. He needs to start winning. Probably That's the problem. To win, would you say maybe three out of the last five? Ideally, I'd say three. Yeah, maybe he could get away with two, but. I, this is a borderline must-win at Aragon next weekend for Maverick Vinales because if he doesn't win it, there's a good chance he'll be out. It'll be a, it'll be a race outside of Marquez with four to play, and that could be catastrophic. Um, like if you're Mark, just focus on getting over the line. Worry about getting the wins later. But even though Marquez is going to be eyeing that one up on the Gano going, yeah, I can win that one because he won it last year and he won it pretty comfortably last year. Um, like Maverick needs to start winning races or at least start taking points out of the big two because he hasn't done that effectively in some time. Um, again, it's, it's easy to forget. He's not his last, his last race win was Le Mans. Mm. Le Mans round five. That was nine rounds ago. Um, so he, he's, he's got work to do here and yeah, like he, he, need, he really needs to win an Aragon if you ask me, because I've, I, I, if he doesn't win it, there's a good chance he'll finish second or third. If, if he finishes third, he'll be more than a race back of Marquez, and that that could be bad. Yeah, it's a, it feels like such a long time ago, doesn't it? That the uh, his best Mar Marquez impression, where he produced a last lap from the gods to beat Valentino at, at Le Mans. Um, that was that was his last MotoGP win. Incredible um, for a guy who looks like champion elect after two rounds of this season, uh, given how well he started it. Um, Two differing fortunes for the two other factory Ducatis in the field, because of course there were three for the factory team last weekend, um, with Davizioso joined by Jorge Lorenzo and the wild carding in Michele Pirro. Uh, we'll cover Pirro in a moment, but um, oh, how different it might have been, Dre, for Jorge Lorenzo, who must have been dreaming. I mean, he probably wouldn't have been dreaming at the start of the year that his first Ducati win would come in filthy wet conditions, but it probably should have done. Yeah, I just oh, I sigh. I just go no, Jorge, you you had it in the bag, my man. Like the first, not very the first five laps looked like the old Jorge Lorenzo, didn't it? It did, just su supreme confidence, and like like it made it all the more baffling because Lorenzo said after the race he wasn't particularly pushing. He he didn't feel like he was on a hundred percent. He didn't feel like he was taking liberties, and yet off he went at turn six, which. By the way, Turn 6 had 31 crashes this weekend in all three classes, which is just insane. Like, this this, this whole weekend broke the record of most MotoGP crashes in a weekend. 140 in all three classes, worth pointing out there. 31 of those were at Turn 6. Yeah, this, including... is, this is not a circuit, really, Mazzano, that is designed to drain uh, the rain away. Apparently, <laughs> apparently, I heard Julian Ryder saying that he'd spoken to a local and that there was the first rain. The race day was the first rain they'd had in about three months. Jesus. <laughs> bit of a dry spell then is that what you're saying yeah um, they weren't prepared for this yeah so again Lorenzo didn't feel like he was particularly pushing hard or anything but down he went and that's what opened the door for Petrucci 
Marquez and Dovizioso to have a go at the win. That that became your leading pack because Lorenzo had a good three seconds in hand yeah. when he crashed, and that was a real shame because I think Lorenzo would have won that race comfortably if it wasn't for that accident. It's a only a second DNF of the year, and it's it's a real shame because it would have propped him up the standings quite nicely to have that win, and instead he's just been taken fully advantage of there by just going over the top on that hammerhead fairing, poor mm, guy. Yeah, and it, and it would have been really, really good for the sport as well. Not something that's ever really been said about a potential Hawke Lorenzo race victory, um, but it would have been uh, really, really good for the sport, for Lorenzo and Ducati, that partnership to to yield a victory um, last weekend. And hey, it still might do before this season's out, the, the progress okay. he's making. Um, on that bike um, and as we mentioned much like Rossi much like Pedroza he could be a real championship spoiler um, later in this season a key weapon really for Ducati to have up their sleeve um, later in this season um, even though of course the job that Dobby might end up doing was the job that they're paying Jorge to do um, anyway the, the other of the factory Ducatis that started at the weekend had a much better time of it um, and um, our favourite policeman and yours, Michele Pirro, coming through to finish fifth as a wild card. I mean, we, we cannot speak highly enough of this guy, can we? Whatever bike you put him on, be it a Ducati Superbike, be it a Ducati Mods GP, GP bike, this guy just delivers whatever he's on. I need the soundtrack of KRS-1's The Police playing in the background as we speak. That was another brilliant role. Michele Pirro, I hope they pay him well. That's all I I say because the man is so valuable to that Ducati outfit that he can just come in and... Like both wild card performances he's had this year, he's finished in the top ten. He's been fantastic for him, and I, I know that Ducati speak very, very highly of, of the feedback that and and the, the hard work that Piro puts in in making these bikes what they are. And again, like in the wet, just again another superb job from Bikini Piro to finish in fifth place and ahead of some really good wet runners like Jack Miller, like Scott Redding, um, as well, like guys that have becoming whatever specialists. Very, very good in the wet, and again, Piro finished ahead of them so a great ride from from McKaylee and I'm sure some great data for the factory to bring back home as well because that's the sort of job that McKaylee Pirro does mm, absolutely brilliant <laughs> job for him uh, as you mentioned he beat Jack Miller although six is still an outstanding result for Jack Miller that's as good as he's ever been in MotoGP if you discount his win at Assen last year uh, pretty sure sixth is his second best result at MotoGP I think he was sixth as well at Assen um, earlier this year in the uh, drizzly conditions that we had towards the end of that race there. Um, Scott Redding in 7th, uh, then came Alex Rins in 8th, and whilst his teammate Andre Unoni pulled in early with arm pump, um, arm pump that he attributed to the fact that his uh, wet race suit was tied a little too tight around his arm, um, yeah, on mm. that kind of thing could only really happen to Andre Unoni, could it? Um, mm-hmm. but, but let's, again, give credit to Alex Rins, who continues to um, make giant strides in his rookie season, another top 10. Yeah, and in the wet too, a great ride as well. He was he was messing with Scott Redding for a potential seventh, but uh, wasn't quite to be on that one. But still, again, a phenomenal job from Alex Rins again. There, like he's proving he can do it, you know, you know, wet or dry, and that's always a good sign of a very good, well-rounded rider. And again, Rins, he's in the top 10 almost every weekend now. He's This is not a fluke. He keeps pumping these results out now. Um, he's, again, like back-to-back top 10 finishes for Rins. So he seems to be climbing his way up the board now, and that's another strong result for Suzuki. It's like they're proving their investment in Rins was well worth it. And I think he's out-qualified, <laughs> you know, and he four races on the trot now as well. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, the, the weekend, um, one of the sort of forgotten stats from the weekend was it was Andrea Inoni's worst ever MotoGP qualifying result. The Suzuki's were 20th and 21st on the grid. 
um, after Saturday qualifying right. in Q1, although Rins was the fastest of them in 20th, ahead of Inoni in 21st. Um, but Rins continues to really get the edge of Inoni in that team, um, which is putting mm-hmm. Inoni's place in that team under greater and greater risk uh, as this season goes on. Speaking of riders whose place was under risk uh, in his manufacturer team, that brings us to the man who finished 10th. Um, <laughs> Boy, did Bradley Smith need that, Dre, after the uh, summer that he's had where his position has come under even greater scrutiny within KTM, of course, new crew chief as well, um, that has been brought in to try and salvage his season. Um, For the first time all season, both KTMs on track at the finish, and Bradley Smith was the first of them. Yay! Go Bradley! I know know he was very mocking of this fact on Twitter when he posted a a brief video yeah, like a brief video clip of him actually being ahead of his teammate on track for a very rare time this season. But uh, I think that matches KTM's best ever result in MotoGP by finishing in 10th. I think he matched Mika Callio's 10th place he had in Austria earlier this season. So, yeah, I just just a double Wikipedia. That is very much I think, true. I think, right? I think Paul's, had a, Paul's had a better result than that, hasn't he? Uh, Paul's best result this year has been... Wait for it. No, take that back. I, I tell a lie. Paul Spegro finished ninth at Bruneau earlier this season. So not quite, but in any case, still uh, a, a PB for Bradley as a KTM rider and a, a, a very a very nice top 10 to have there ahead of his teammate. He needed that because there was a lot of pressure regarding his race seat from him. I guess we going to Aragon next weekend with Mika Calio coming back as another wildcard appearance for KTM running three bikes that weekend. So a nice bit of momentum for Bradley to take to Aragon, knowing that Calio is going to be back and a very strong performance indeed, again, to get that KTM in the top and ahead of Paul, who's had a phenomenal season mm. by any measure. Yeah, key result, which may well keep Bradley Smith aboard that KTM uh, long-term, certainly into next year. Although that weekend, as Dre mentioned, at Aragon is going to be key. Um, he cannot afford to be beaten by Mika Calio there. Uh, that is for certain. You'll notice we've made all the way down to 10th in the result, and we haven't mentioned two of the key Honda runners yet. Um, Carl Crutchlow, who finished in 13th despite falling off. Um, but it's a measure of how badly Danny Pedrosa's race weekend, Dre, that even with that fall, Carl Crutchlow still beat him. <sighs> oh, dear. It was almost the old like... Danny, wasn't it? The guy who almost hated it when it was humid, let alone wet. Yeah, it's just... Like it's been the the one crippling weakness for the most part when it comes to the career of, of Danny Pedrosa is, is that he struggles to get heat into the front tire and in a wet race that is cataclysmically bad if you can't get heat into the, into a into a wet tire and just that level of that level of confidence um woof not pretty um to say the least on that one and yeah Pedrosa finished a minute and thirty eight seconds behind his teammate who could go on to win the race that's, that's by basically any measure, yeah by any measure not a good look and that will pretty much eliminate Pedrosa from title contention he's now forty nine points off of Marquez um with five rounds to go and I think that's just about Pedrosa's goose cooked for this season unfortunately and yeah, Crutchlow must have been must have been mocking the fact he passed Pedrosa on that penultimate lap to to finish anyway, despite my Crutchlow was crashed earlier in the race. Mm. Oh dear, just 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 not good for just not good for Danny P. Yeah, I mean he he on on Friday in the in the dry conditions in free practice on, on race pace, Pedrosa looked as quick as anybody out there. Um, mm-hmm. But how very Danny Pedrosa's career is that that just when he's looking very good, it rains and scuppers his chances. Yeah. Um, Danny finishing down in 14th. There was only one rider on the lead lap that Danny Pedrosa did actually manage to beat. That was Joan Zarco. Reason for that, Joan Zarco ran out of fuel and had to complete the last 100 metres on foot. Um, 
we, we, it's always a great sight, Dre. We always we always have a lot of respect for a guy that does this. And um, God bless him, Johan Zarco. Pushing his Yamaha M1 down the start-finish straight, all for one championship point. I, I love Johan Zarco. What a guy. Um, th that is the sort of guy you want in your paddock. Yeah, so he, that, he nearly is... went full Nigel Mansell because he almost collapsed as he was pushing it over the finish line. Yeah. Like, you're, like, these bikes are not, like, these bikes weigh about 160 kilos. you got to push them over the line. That is a lot of weight for anyone to have to heave, especially when you've just done a 50-minute MotoGP race hmm. um, in, a, in a rain suit as well. So, again, a phenomenal um, dedication to the craft from Johan Zarco. And I'm glad that I, I did see a tweet from David Emmett saying that, uh, that, that there was a rousing round of applause from the media from the media center when when Zarco pushed that bike over the line for a measly fifteenth place and one point in the same race where Andre Iannone on a home race parked it early. Not a good look for Andrea, but uh, again, like that, that that's a, a, a lot of respect to Johan Zarco for being a true professional and doing absolutely everything to finish the race, even when his bike let him down. Yeah, it's one of those stories that'll probably get buried when you look on the Wikipedia of the 2017 Championship two, three years from now and see that he finished 15th. He was actually running, I think, up in eighth before the, the bike ran out of petrol uh, on the final lap. Um, but in the end, he did at least have one point to show for his result. Mark Marquez then, the winner, uh, fourth win of the year from Daniel Petrucci, <laughs> who still hasn't won a MotoGP race, but it's surely going to come very, very soon. Uh, Davizioso third, ahead of Maverick Vinales, fourth from the pole. Uh, Michele Pirro fifth, Jack Miller sixth, Scott Redding in seventh, ahead of Alex Rins, Jonas Volga, and Bradley Smith on the KTM, tenth. Um, his teammate, Paul Espargaro, was eleventh, then came Alvaro Bautista, Cal Crutzlow, who fell off remounted and got thirteenth for three points, Pedroza fourteenth, and Zarco in 15th for the last championship point, two minutes behind the winner. Um, Loris Baz and Carol Abraham, the two other finishers, uh, Tito Rabat, Andrea Inori, Jorge Lorenzo, and a couple of others failing to make the checkered flag in the end. Championship standings then, it's dead level with five to go. Mark Marquez and Andrea Davizioso locked together on 199 points. 16 clear of Maverick Vinales in third. Valentino Rossi, um, who will not race at Aragon next weekend, will tell you who will in his place when we get to the news. He is 42 points off the championship lead, and of course that gap will grow before Mategi. Danny Pedrosa is fifth, seven points behind Rossi. Uh, Joan Zarco is still sixth, although in the race for the top independent rider, Daniela Petrucci is now just 15 points behind Zarco in seventh place. Cal Crutchlow is now down to eighth on 92. Lorenzo is down to ninth on 90 points, and Jonas Folger is 10th on 84. Uh, he, as I mentioned, finished ninth at the weekend. Uh, right, on to Moto2, and um, an incredible, another incredible twist in the race for the Moto2 World Championship, um, which we'll tell you about in a second, because um, for the moment, Dre, we're going to give, um, we're going to park the championship battle to one side and celebrate a first Moto2 Grand Prix race victory for three years for Dominic Egeta. Hey, Dommy! Uh, long time no see. Saxon Ring 2014 seems like such a long time ago. Yeah, that was a incredibly brave performance from Dominique Agata. My goodness. I mean, they got the worst Dominique... of the conditions in Moto2, didn't they? Yeah, that was, I said it on Twitter. That was a borderline red flag sort of condition for like, the, the, it was soaking wet out there. Alex Marquez was watching from the, and he tweeted saying, I, I, I would, like he said, if that were me, I'd have red flagged the race. 
um, which of course led to Keefe would disagree, which I thought was hilarious. Like, yeah, I know better than this bike rider that goes out there and drives at 170 miles an hour for our entertainment. But hey, who's counting? Um, but yeah, it was it was borderline red flag conditions out there. It was soaking wet. The Moto2 got the worst of the wet conditions by a country mile. And Dominic Agata was practically flawless in how he, he took control of the race, um, led, and, you know, only a couple of brief attacks from Thomas Lutie um, to really get involved there. But, uh, yeah, on the whole, phenomenal stuff from Dominic Agata. And, and a reminder that the guy is can be can be top tier at times. It's a shame that his, his career never really took off from 2014 where he had that breakout year. But uh, another great win. And, oh, by the way, the first ever 1-2 Swiss finish in Moto Grand Prix history. <laughs> yeah, incredible result um, for, the, for the two Swiss. Um, for for Agatha and Lutti and another Swiss in the top 10 as well. Jessica Raffin finished in 10th as yes. well in that race. Um, so the Swiss had a great time of it. Um, but it's, it's, it's a welcome tonic for that team, I suppose, isn't it, Dre? Given that um, one of their riders split from them after three races. Danny Kemp, Danny <laughs> Kemp walked out on them. Uh, earlier in the year, and both riders, Egerton and Taron McKenzie, his uh, new teammate, had their crash helmets stolen um, from the uh, oh, yes, from the paddock did. earlier in the weekend. Um, yeah, they clearly aren't quite as strict on who gets a paddock pass at Mizano as they are at other places, because um, someone managed to get in the paddock and nick their crash helmets from the Kiefer garage. Um, and we forget at the start of this season, this was a team, of course, has won this title before in Moto Two with Stefan Bridal, um, together with a suitor chassis, and we were thinking, hey, this could really work. And save for an Agata podium at Jerez earlier this season, it spectacularly hasn't worked. Um, so this was a badly result, badly needed result for both team and rider. The way it's gone, like Kiefer had to, had to take a lot of crap earlier this season because, because obviously Danny kept the team under the bus for his own departure. So any way you look at it, Kiefer had to deal with a lot of criticism. And I mean, they've not been the best in Moto2 since they've come back anyway. And yeah, it's... It's a nice, it's a nice um, return to form for Kiefa and for Agata as well, who's had to take a lot of the brunt of of the Danny Kent fallout because he was the forgotten man in all this. He was the other, he was the other rider for the team who was just getting his head down and being a consumer pro and bringing home half decent results for him on that Suter chassis. I mean, this is the first Suter win in three years, which says a lot. But hey, Calix is still the dominant chassis in the field right now, as well as. As much as KTM is trying to put a dent in that this year, Cadex is still probably the way to go. So for a suitor victory, um, Dominic to get there. So a great job from Dominic, a great job for Kiefer. Yeah, a hugely needed result for that team. As I mentioned, they had a pretty poor weekend uh, off the track leading up to that. So um, good to see some smiles put back on faces within that team. Um, even though I'm still kind of bitter at seeing a team with a livery that bad win a Grand Prix. Yes, um, it's, it's still awful. But anyway, we'll um, we'll forgive them that because uh, Dominic Egerton did a cracking job, given that he was under constant pressure race long uh, by his compatriot Thomas Lutie. Um Now, um, the championship battle now comes into focus, and we have to mention Franco Morbidelli first, because the way this race was panning out, um, in many ways, much like the MotoGP race, where the battle for second became the race-winning battle because of a a dominant leader crashing out. The same thing had happened in Moto2 where Franco Morbidelli was a good three seconds up the road from Egerta when he fell off. And no matter what he does, Dre, in this championship season, no matter how many races he wins, no matter how much of a point lead he builds up, Franco Morbidelli keeps finding ways of handing it all straight back to Thomas Lutti again. He's, he's not he's not going about this the easy way, is he, Frankie? No. He's won seven races this season, yet still has... Thomas Lutie is still right there in the championship battle. Only nine points behind now. Thomas Lutie's only that won one. once. 
Yeah, it just goes. It just goes to show you that he's got one race win. Frankie Morbidelli has seven, and he's only nine points behind because Morbidelli's record is basically potholes at this point. It's yeah. potholes, um, like seven wins with a couple of rather poor results. Like again, the the, the fifth in Catalonia, the eighth at Czech Republic, and the two DNFs he's now had. And Frankie's going to be sitting down at home kicking himself again because. This was this was another open goal for Frankie to you know to really do some damage, especially with Agata batting as well. And Miguel Oliveira was right in the mix as well before he fell off late late on as well. Uh, and no Alex Marquez either. So it, it was a golden goal for Morbidelli here to really hammer home his advantage in the championship. And it's gone the other way with Thomas Lutie taking 20 points out of his lead. So it's it's all square again, pretty much, with five to go. <laughs> yeah, that's the 10th podium uh, for Thomas Lutie this season out of 12 races, um, including one, two, three, four, five, six second places. Um, for Thomas oh, Lutie this season, which which is incredible, and he's of course second place uh, in the championship. Um, but the more and more this happens, I mean, Morbidelli's had three race wins at the start of the season, followed by a DNF, then a win followed by a fourth and a fifth, two wins followed by an eighth, a first and a third followed by a DNF. So he can't really, no matter how many good races he puts together, usually every third or fourth race, a big drop comes, a big dip comes. Mm-hmm. That surely, given how good he's been this season, how many races he's won. That's going to start eating away. If it's not already, that's going to start eating away at Morbidelli. If this championship gets close, going into the Asia-Pacific rounds, dare we say it, go to Valencia at the end. This is going to be eating away for Morbidelli, isn't it? That he's not managed to put this away. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's 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 going to it's going to cripple him if he doesn't get this title because he's been by a mile the fastest man in Moto Two this season in 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 dry conditions and in wet conditions to a degree as well. I mean, again, he was he was leading that Misano race by a good handful of seconds before before he hit the deck and. Like, how could like, could you imagine a situation where you could say, like, Frankie could win eight or nine races and not win the championship? That would be catastrophic. That's, you'd be writing books about that in, in the future, about how Frankie didn't win that title. And Thomas Lutie, the, the, the little Swissman that could, um, by the looks of it, one race win so far this year is, is still right in contention for the championship. Yeah, so when, when you go through it and you sort of just look at the raw results, you, you almost think there's no way this championship should be as close as it is. When Morbidelli's won seven races, Thomas Lutie has won one race, and that was a race with a distance of six laps. Um, back at Bruno, that's the only race Lutie's won all year, um, and yet he, he's still within nine points of the championship lead. And got to be honest, Dre, if I was going to question which of those two would come out on top in a mental battle, I'd be giving it to Lutie at the moment. Um, given that he's the man that's been sort of been able to, you've been able to bank on him so far this season to bring the bike home, bring it by, bring it home on the podium. And um, you could almost see it, couldn't you, during that race, during that race at the uh, Mizano last weekend, in those filthy, wet conditions, you could almost see Thomas Lutie's mind at work. You could see him thinking to himself, well, do you know what? I could quite easily go after Dominic Egater and put it all on the line to try and take these 25 points, but the 20 will do me just fine in these conditions. Exactly. Um, you could tell with, with the, like, Julian Ryder pointed it out better than I could, where with two to go, he was still right on Agatha's wheel wheel, and he, he was like, you know what? Agatha just wants it more. Yes. So, you know, I'm going to take these 20 points. This is not a fight worth having for five more points. I know Morbidelli's been it. Let me live to fight another day here. I'm not going to push this any harder. I will take that second place. And it was a very smart 20 points because, I mean, there was a couple of near misses with him and Agatha in that yeah. fight. So, yeah, probably the smart decision from Lute- on Lutie's end to take take those points 
and uh, and, and get out of dodge basically on, on that one of twenty points rather than risk it all for twenty five because I don't think that would have that would have been a very smart idea. <laughs> no, especially once Morbidelli, once you know Morbidelli's out, just get your bike to the finish and make sure that you get the points on the board um, because a nine point championship deficit with five races to go. Um, you know, Thomas Lucy was very very strong towards the end of last season. Um, and that's all it's going to take now, even with the six race fewer victories than Morbidelli. All it takes now is for Luthi to go on any kind of run now in these last few races. Perhaps like win three on the bounce or three of the last five, four of the last five, and Luthi's the champion. Absolutely. Um, that's all it takes now. So just keep yourself in contention, keep yourself in the <laughs> argument, and let it come to you. If Morbidelli's going to keep making mistakes, let it come to you. Um, which is almost what Luthi's doing at the moment. He's playing a very, very clever, intelligent game of it at the moment at the front of this World Championship. Um, given the high finishing or the high uh, crash rate and the low finishing rate, only 50% of the starters actually finished in this Moto2 race, it led to some unlikely heroes in this race. We saw the likes of Matteo um, Pacini, the pole man, fall off. Baldassari fell off on the... Uh, Giacomo Agostini MV Augusta tribute livery, um, which didn't really get much of uh, much of an airing because it crashed onto that too. Um, but but um, we saw Miguel Oliveira crash out of a podium position later on um, as well when he was looking good. Through all of that came Hafish Sirin, who has a podium to his name earlier this season, having uh, earlier this uh, in his career, should I say, that famous debut appearance at uh, Malaysia where he finished fourth and then was promoted to third a year later when Anthony West's results got expunged. Um, so yep. the record books will state, Dre, that this was uh, Hafiz Sirin's second ever podium, but I think to us, and certainly to him, it was his first, and the emotion really showed. Yes, the first time he actually got to stand on a Moto, mm. a Moto 2 podium, because uh, that was a po basically a posthumous podium, so to speak, given the results had changed afterwards. But yeah, a fantastic result for Hafiz Sirin. He was in the mix all race long, didn't quite have enough to challenge the front two, but a, a, a well-ridden, good pace, safe third place. He, he, he rode incredibly well. And you could see the man was, the man burst into tears mm. in Park mm. Ferme. As soon as, as soon as he pulled up, he didn't even realised, like, this is what the podium looks like. Um, and you could see the emotion. You see how much it meant to him. It was a, a great, great job from him and a, well, yeah, a very well-deserved third place. Yeah, well, we mentioned earlier on, didn't we, with Jay Dixon and his team and how much it meant to them. I mean, it's just great to see those kind of scenes in sport. But the the, the unsung, the heroes, the, the, the unlikely heroes that come through to get a result when um, you wouldn't otherwise expect it. Terrific result for Siren, who's always been a sort of guy that you keep an eye on in wet conditions. Um, mm -hmm. And he finally backed it up with a result. Um, his, know, his compatriot, incidentally, Karela Dampawi, who's um, been known on the show as the Rain God. Um, he also <laughs> had a good outing. He finished ninth. Um, in that Moto2 race. Oh, wow, yeah. um, two other rookies having good results. Um, Francesco Bagnaia and Brad Binder, Dre. I mean, Bagnaia is no longer a surprise to see him up the front. Fourth for him. Another cracking result. But Brad Binder in fifth. Um, basically fighting the good fight for KTM whilst Oliveira had gone down. Yeah, Oliveira just pushing a little bit too hard. Okay. It, it's like Oliveira, I know he was interviewed about the third, the on the world feed asking about it, and he said straight up he had no idea how he crashed. Mm -hmm. um, same, very bizarre. Didn't feel like he was pushing. He just completely lost the front and down he went. And Binder was able to keep a hold of it. And fifth place, I think, is his best Moto2 finish to date. So, he's, again, a really great finish for him. And, and the KTM department, again, stepping up where Oliveira was left a little bit short. <laughs> mm, absolutely. Dominic Egerton, then the winner in Moto2. 
Um, a race that, uh, I'm pretty sure it's the longest race in any class we see this season, over 51 minutes for the Yamato 2 race, um, which just emphasised how bad the conditions were and how slow they were going. Eager to the winner from Luti, uh, with Siren in third, per Francesco Bagnaia fourth, ahead of Brad Binder fifth, Sandro Cortese um, getting two suitors in the top six in sixth, ahead of Fabio Quartararo, Simone Corsi on the speed up eighth, Powie ninth, and Jesco Raff in third, Swiss in the top ten. Um, Silverstone winner Nakagami 11th, De Angelis 12th on the second of the Dynavolt bikes, Remy Gardner 13th on the first of the Tech 3s, ahead of Tetsuta Nagashima and Chavi Vieke, second of the Tech 3 riders, 13th and 15th for them. Both of their riders actually fell off at one point, but both remounted to score points in the end. Um, the Moto2 Championship standings then are led by Morbidelli, 223 points. It's now just a nine-point lead over Luti with five races to go. Alex Marquez stays um, where he is in third, 155 points, so he chose the leader by 68. Um, Miguel Oliveira stays fourth. He also didn't score. Francisco Bagnaia fifth, ahead of Nakagami now in sixth. Uh, Matteo Pacini, the pole man, is seventh in the points. He dropped uh, a place at uh, the weekend. Dominic Ayrta has jumped up to eighth ahead of, of Corsi and Siren. Siren completes the top ten on 66 points after his first podium of the year. Uh, now, finally, on to Moto3. And um, wet conditions tend to ruin Moto3 races, if history is any indicator. We always get the brilliant pack fights of Moto3 in the dry. They never yeah. really transpire in the wet. Um, and if any race epitomized that, Dre, it was this one, with a, a race-winning margin of 28.5 seconds, um, all really down to the mercurial brilliance of Romano Fanati. Yeah, that was, like again, a, like a Moto3 race in reverse. The, the wet seems to have the opposite effect on Moto3 races, where it's just like, oh, one guy tends to dominate, and Romano Fanati with arguably the ride of his career to date, that was astonishing stuff. Yeah, to he, be able to win he, that, he almost he almost threatened his own race winning margin, didn't he? Because he he, yes. he holds the record in Moto Three um, for the biggest ever winning margin over thirty four seconds. He won by um, on his debut win at Jerez, the second ever Moto Three race back in twenty twelve um, when he won there. Um, and at one point, it looked as if he was going to threaten that with his with his performance in this one. I mean, what amazed me about it, Dre, it, with with Fanati at the weekend. I mean. First of all, he's he's not the kind of guy you'd attribute this kind of performance to. No. Um, but his his consistency. I mean, those are the kind of conditions that, if if any race condition was built for being inconsistent, um, it's this one. Given that you really almost don't know what kind of conditions you're going to face with until you reach the corner. Um, right. The conditions were that bad. Yet, Julian Ryder was talking through the race, wasn't he? And how every lap went by that Fanati did, it was practically within a tenth of a second of the last one. Yeah, it was just, it, it was a metronome. Once it was set up, he was just invincible. He just kept going and going and going and doing the exact same thing on on almost every performance. It was an insane job. It really was, like, incredibly impressive stuff. Just, 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 just got the metronome going. Once he was going, he was invincible. Like, once he got to the front, not an answer for him. It was a second the lap, faster than everybody else. He was the only guy under two minutes for the majority of the race. It was incredible stuff from Fanati. Just so impressive. Yeah, it was the very best of Romano Fanati. And uh, yeah, as, as many uh, commentators have said over the past, we, we, we often see the best and the worst of Romano Fanati over the course of a season. Um, this was certainly the best of it. It, it was a sensational performance, a sensational victory. Um, as far as the championship outright goes, uh, as I said right at the top of the show, it's probably come a little bit late for him to actually win the Moto3 title this season because <laughs> even though he was 28 seconds up the road for the man in second, that man in second was still Joanne Mir. Yeah, Joanne Mir was like, okay, you're going to have your win. Take your five points. It's fine. Like, 
have, have your moments, son. Have your moments. It, it was, it, yeah, it, it was tough. Like Joanne Mir again, just just got the job done. He's like that's that's peak Joanne Mir. It's been a story of him all season long, effectively just doing what he can, wins the races he can win, and you know if he if he's not going to win it, he will make sure he gets the bike over the line in a good position. And he did that. He 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 won the war with Jorge Martin in the early stages of the race, and and would go on to continue to be solid. And again, just found the way to, to get it done, and, and another another second place finish for Joe Amir. Actually, funny enough, that's the first time we finished second this season, Amazing. believe it or not. But um, you know, yeah, it's, he, it's, usually, it's, he usually deals a place higher than that, doesn't he? Yeah, it's 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 a it's a nice counter to these seven wins he already has this season and the mere sixty one point lead. But uh, hey, you know that, that's Joe Amir for you. <laughs> yeah, it is, and. Um... <laughs> he's looking on course with Chevy. Of course, we we teed it up last week that he could put himself in a position to, to clinch the title at Aragon next time out. He now can't do that, um, mm-hmm. given that Fanati took five points off him, which means that you know to have had any chance of clinching the championship at Aragon, he needed to leave Mizano with a 75-point lead or higher. Um, he didn't manage that. He leads with a um, 71, uh, sorry, 61-point lead over Fanati uh, in second. Aaron Canet was the other guy in championship contention, or semi-contention, given how far behind he was. Um, and his hopes um, went for a burn when he crashed uh, early in the race, but he certainly wasn't alone. It was a, con- a race of very, very ter- horrendous conditions. Um, they ended up catching out Jorge Martin, who ended up starting from his, what I believe is his seventh or eighth pole position of the year. He doesn't get the watch because he didn't qualify on pole. That was an air Bastianini, but Bastianini received a grid penalty afterwards, which promoted Martin onto his customary pole. <laughs> Um, but in the end, Ray, he joined the Turn 6 Club. Yeah, the Turn 6 Club, the dreaded port... The, I call it the Turn 6 of poor judgment from here on in because uh, another accident there. And, oh, like, I, I was immediately whimsical. I was like, oh, no, not another Martin accident. There can't be this. No, no, no. No. But, um, of course, we had, we had one of his own anyway, unfortunately, um, in a training accident we'll get to in a minute. But, um yeah, that another turn six victim. A lot of them went down there. A lot of them went off on the final corner as well. Um, that was another bad spot as well, where a lot of guys had fallen off. But uh, again, just truly treacherous conditions out there, to say the least. Half the field just not making it, not making the flag in the end. Mm-hmm. And in the end, the the big beneficiary of that crash for Jorge Martin was his teammate, uh, who had his own adventures over the course of the race, much like at Silverstone, where he went off track twice and still finished tenth. Um, Fabio Di Gian Antonio, who crashed, or didn't crash, but he, uh, he very nearly crashed and had to go off track. I think his was at turn six as well um, during the race, which forced him to go wide. Um, but through it all, he came through to get what I'm just counting them up is his fourth podium of the season, uh, Di Gian Antonio. He's fifth in the World Championship, right behind his teammate, Jorge Martin. They're four points apart. Um, this is one team, Dre, that's having a very, very good season. Yes, they're showing that they've got two solid riders underneath them right now. Martin has been the fastest man over a single lap all season long, um, over Grassini and whatnot. And again, Giantonino, uh, he's, he's, he's not fluking this anymore. Again, he's, he's right up there now, fifth in the championship. He's got a good chance at fourth against Martin um, in, in, in that title fight as well. Like I said, they're a little bit in no man's land at the moment. But yeah, again, it's a very strong overall package. And they, they could be two of the main favourites for next season, the way it's going right now. In Moto Three, <laughs> absolutely, uh, it's looking good for them next season. As as Dre mentioned, two of the men ahead of them in the championship, Mia and Fanati, are already confirmed to be going to Moto Two next 
year, uh, Mir with the Mark Vidyes team and Fanati with his current team, uh, the Marinelli Rubicold Sniper Squad, who are moving up to Moto2, um, taking Fanati with them. Um, Canet, of course, is staying around, as we believe are Martin and Di Gian Antonio. Um, in the race itself at Bizarro then last weekend, uh, the top three were Fanati, Mir and Di Gian Antonio. Philip Ertl in fourth. Um, one of those guys who always seems to be good for a result in wet conditions um, is Ertl. 55 seconds off the winner, but that was still good enough for fourth in the end. Ahead of Nicolo Bulliger, who stayed afloat to finish fifth, um, albeit a minute, a minute and two off the winner. And then we come to a few guys who, um, yeah, as I mentioned, much like uh, the aforementioned Dijon Antonio, had their own adventures. Trey Bobenschneider, a minute and nine <laughs> off the winner, finishes sixth despite having to crash and remount. He went. He took the Scott Redding Mizano route to a result. Don't remind me. Rebecca James still doesn't let me live that one down. Um, but yes, very much so. Uh, that, it was just that sort of race where you could crash, you could remount. Like had, really. Yeah, exactly. He was, again, he's, he, again, he's got a reputation of being very good in the wet, and it, it showed it here, if not for a silly mistake that would have cost him almost certainly a, probably a podium finish. Uh, instead, it, it, it obviously, you know, it's still a solid sixth place. Just uh, it'll be another one of those what could have been sort of races for him, given that, uh, yeah, it just wasn't quite enough to uh, really make a difference, um, especially given the accident. Yeah, it was. I mean, the conditions like this do give us the opportunity, uh, much like in Moto2 with Sirens, to talk about some riders that we don't often talk about, some unlikely heroes. Um, another rider that crashed, remounted, and got a great result, Jakob Kornfeil, who dragged that god-awful Peugeot to seventh. Yeah, again, another wet weather specialist, Jakob Kornfar, I think the most experienced man in the field now, and again, had, had a mistake, got up, was able to continue again. Like that Peugeot, you would never guess it was, uh, it was, it was a real struggling situation there, given how, again, he's just very, very good in the wet, and the wet tends to be a great equaliser for talent, and uh, there he goes again. Another really strong result for Jakob Kornfarr. Yeah, Mahindra, because uh, Mahindra and Peugeot are named as different manufacturers in the Manufacturers' Championship. And uh, yeah. yeah, I bet Mahindra kind of wished that um, they'd renamed their bike what it's actually been, been built as, as a Mahindra rather than a Peugeot, because they were yes. beaten by it uh, in the end. Uh, Mahindra also fired behind, though. Albert Arenas um, finishing in eighth place. Don't want to don't want to rush to Wikipedia, but I'm pretty sure that's a career best. Um, for Albert Arenas. Cannot ever remember I've so. mentioned it before on this show. Um, so I'm going to go with that. He was eighth ahead of Andrea Migno and Jean Messia, um, who finished one spot lower than he did in Austria, although not quite as impressive an outing. He did, though, get to the end in 10th um, mm -hmm. on the uh, Platinum Bay real estate bike, although he did, it has to be said, beat his teammate Marcos Ramirez, who was two places further back in 12th. Uh, Manuel Pagliani between them in 11th. Um, shout out to the San Marinese wildcard, Alex Fabri, who scored three points in 13th. And Ayat Bastianini, who crashed twice and still finished 14th for two points. Uh, and Lorenzo Della Porta, who um, also crashed at one stage on his uh, Aspart Mahindra. He got the final point in 15th. Um, the poor Finnish kid, Patrick Polkinen, missing out on his first career point by crashing on the final lap. Championship standings then. Joan Mir leads by 61 points now from Romano Fanati in second. Uh, with Aaron Canet a further 23 points behind in third. Uh, Jorge Martin fourth, four points ahead of Fabio Di Antonio, his teammate in fifth. Andrea Migno is sixth, uh, ahead of John McPhee, um, who also fell off. Marcos Ramirez in eighth, just two points goers, sixth, seventh, eighth in the championship. And Ian Bastianini, who uh, had qualified on pole and then crashed early on, he's ninth. And Philip Berthel, with his fourth place, has jumped up into tenth in the Moto3 World Championship. Next round in all three classes is at Aragon next weekend.
right, on to the news. And uh, let's stick with Aragon, because we mentioned that in the next round of the championship. And we now know who's going to be riding the second Movistar Yamaha next weekend, because Maverick Vinales will have a teammate. And I think both, Dre, were both unanimous in this one. We're very excited about this, because we can now yes. tell you that that teammate on the second Movistar Yamaha will be Michael van der Mark. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, great to see him finally in MotoGP, maybe not in the ways we were expecting. But uh, hey, a, a, a wild card appearance is great to see. Um, he is a, a great talent. He's a very adaptable sort of rider. He's, a, he's taken to these new challenges very, very well indeed. He'll, he'll have Valentino Rossi's crew for the weekend. And there'll be a real great learning experience for the kid. Um, it's it's going to be a great opportunity for him. Um, so yeah, very excited to see what Van der Mark can do on a MotoGP bike. Yeah, I mean, it's... I really look forward to seeing this uh, because Van der Mark, who's never actually debuted in the Premier Class before, um, he has ridden in uh, 125s before. He also ridden in a Moto2 race. 2011, he wild-carded as a Moto2 rider on a, uh, a rather skint privateer team. Um, yes. But this is his first real opportunity. And this is a rider, Dre, who we've... We don't want to say this about World Superbikes because we want to consider it as a, as a Premier Championship in its own right. But we can't help but look at some of the fast young talent in World Superbikes and ask the question, could they move across to MotoGP and deliver there? Vandermark certainly falls within that category. Um, so, I'd say so. so. So he's certainly a rider that we've, we're looking forward to seeing. And in many ways, he's got nothing to lose. He's on one of the best bikes in the field. But much like Jonathan Ray on that Repsol 100 a few years ago, no real testing on that bike. So no real reference or experience to draw on. Um it's really just shot to nothing, isn't it? Yeah, like why not? Why not see what you got? And uh, we, we, like Alex Lowe's had his go last year, and he ended, ended up being extended because of Bradley Smith's injuries. But uh, why not? Especially given the Van der Mark has done such a great job at Suzuka in the eight hours before, so it proves he's again he's a flexible, adaptable rider, and you know he, he likes these sort of challenges. So yeah, let's see what he can do. So again, I think it's I think it's a great move, and you know. Why not give the kid a chance to see what he's got? You know, it might be a good advertisement in the door for him as well, especially given, as you say, it's a good advert for World Superbikes as well. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, and there's no question that he's, he's earned this in, in as much as he, along with Alex Lowe's and Katsuki Nakasuga, took Yamaha to victory at the Suzuka 8 hour earlier this season, which will have earned him no amount, no limit of kudos within that manufacturer, um, mm -hmm. given how seriously they take that race. And... It did intrigue me why Van der Mark was given the nod um, for this race, given that he's been outshone, it has to be said, by his team at Alex Lowe's yeah. this season. I'm sure that's a question that Rebecca James has been asking um, ever since it was announced. <laughs> in, in fairness to Movistar Yamaha, and Lynn Jarvis has spoken about this when the, the deal was announced, he said, Yamaha decided, um, once it was de deemed virtually impossible for Valentino to be fit for Aragon, Yamaha decided to search for a capable replacement from within its own pool of contracted drivers. Having previously used Katsuki Nakasuga to fill in for Jorge Lorenzo in 2011 and Alex Lowe to replace Bradley Smith in 2016, we decided that Michael van der Mark should have the opportunity this time around. Um, sure. You can really see, you can, I mean, it, it sounds like the old Vince McMahon phrase, in the interest of fairness. Um, yes. And whilst it might not necessarily um, go down well with the likes of Alex Lowe, who will feel that you know he's done the better job, he's Yamaha's leader rider in World Superbikes, you can kind of see where Lin Jarvis and Yamaha are coming from. Yeah, I can. I think it's. I think it's just a simple case of, hey, Alex, you had your go. You had a test session when you won the Suzuka last year. Let's give Michael a go. I think it's. Just, I think it's. Yeah. I think there's nothing more to it than that, and that's fine. Like again, like Alex had his chance. He's had multiple MotoGP races. 
and test sessions for uh, for, for for Tech Three, for an example, as well. So Lowe's has had a go. Why not give Michael a go? It's only fair, right? Yeah, yeah. and you know we've we spoken to previously on this show, famously when we did our motorcycle live show a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Bex and I were lucky enough to meet Michael Mandavark, and what a lovely guy he was who gave us his time. Um, and the best of luck to him. He, he's a super guy, and we hope yes. he does a good job on this bike. And it will be great for the sport um, if Vandermark can go and do a great job on that Movistar Yamaha. I did enjoy David Emmett's tweet, Dre. I don't know if you saw David Emmett's tweet when yeah. this was announced. He says, given where he lives, um, David Emmett, he was very much looking forward to the moment in the Movistar Yamaha press briefings this weekend where the press officer says, Right, and now for the questions in Dutch. <laughs> Um, no, no rushing at once. Yeah, well, the, the Dutch, no, the Dutch media are going to rush into Aragon, aren't they, to have one of their own on a factory yeah, Yamaha yeah, MotoGP. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, that's going to be interesting. And uh, David Evitt, of course, is fluent in it, given that he lives in the Netherlands. So I think he's very much looking forward to that oh, part where he can uh, where he can um, show his uh, his prowess in uh, in various other languages besides English um, next weekend. But yeah, in all seriousness, very best of luck to Michael van der Mark. And as I say, just just even just being fans for a minute. It's so exciting to see what he can do awesome. on a MotoGP bike next weekend as teammate to Marek Vinales at Movie Star Yamaha. Um, Moto3 news, and this might actually have a bearing on next weekend um, at Aragon because we don't quite know yet if Jorge Martin will be there. Uh, Andre, you mentioned this a little bit earlier on. Um, this guy just has no luck when it comes to injuries, does he? This is ridiculous. Like, like... Like the man, like I don't want to say the words like like can he catch a break because that just doesn't quite sound right given how he's caught one, all right. Um, yeah, hit by a car in a cycling training accident, and um, for for being slightly more serious for a minute, the last time we heard about that, we lost Nicky Hayden. So I mean, it's it's a it's a lucky escape. The same part of the world as well, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly in Italy as well. So like again, it's a. A, 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 a real again a real sense of luckiness in this sense that uh, we had this and not you know something more serious it looks like uh, Jorge will be fine um, he's given the thumbs up on Twitter and Grissini is, has largely been very positive about his recovery so far so it looks like Jorge will make a full recovery which is great to hear but boy um, it makes you a bit nervous when you see when you see little things like that um yeah, and so yeah, again, wishing Jorge Martin a speedy recovery again um, this season. Jeez, yeah, absolutely, this guy deserves a bit of luck. Uh, let's hope he gets it in the remainder of this season. He stays injury free. Uh, MotoGP calendar news to bring you before we move on to this weekend and what's coming because the 2018 calendar has been announced um, for the first time in MotoGP history. 19 races. Uh, on the calendar. Uh, who says you could have too much of a good thing um, mm. in MotoGP? And, uh, 19 races next season. Um, and uh, let's just run you very quickly through the calendar before we pick out the key uh, stories from this. It starts, uh, as always, in Qatar uh, on the 18th of March, which means that the uh, the rumours of increasing the size of the calendar and bringing Qatar forward and making it a day race in February, that's not happening. Um, it's yep. going to be under the lights um, in uh, March, March the 18th next year. Um, the Argentine Grand Prix, round two, as it was this year, 8th of April. Two weeks after that, we head to the Circuit of the Americas um, before the European season starts on the 6th of May at Jerez. Um, the calendar for the next sort of few months, the European leg, pretty much mirrors this year's with Le Mans following that. Um, Mugello on the 3rd of June, Catalonia on the 17th. 1st of July sees the Dutch TT at Assen. The 15th of July is the German Grand Prix at the Saxon Ring. We then head into a three-week summer break before we return at Bruneau on the 5th of August. Austria's back-to-back with that a week later. The British Grand Prix is on the 26th of August. More on that in a second. Uh, the San Marino Grand Prix at Mizano World Circuit Marcus Vincelli is on September the 9th. Aragon 
uh, is the penultimate <laughs> European round as it was this year, 23rd of September. But there are four Asia-Pacific races to follow it, starting with the first ever Thai Grand Prix um, at Bururam on October the 7th. And then the usual uh, Asia-Pacific triple header that we've had for the last number of years of Mategi, Philippound and Sepang in consecutive weekends from the 21st of October to the 4th of November. And the final round of the season, the season finishing a week later than it does this year, 18th of November for the Valencia GP um, at the Ricardo Tomo, Tomo circuit. Um, now, two stories, really, that stand out from that one, Dre. First of all, the British Grand Prix, uh, which um, is to be held at a circuit to be announced. Um, yeah. Now, um, without wishing to um, build up the suspense too much, we can pretty much guarantee it's not going to be the circuit of Wales. Um, that one's no. pretty much dead in the water. It's pretty much going to be one of two options, Donington or Silverstone. Um, right. and at the moment, the, um, the smart money seems to be leaning towards Donington. Yeah, like... That I wouldn't imagine he'd be saying that a year ago because Silverstone, yeah, like Silverstone has gone down very well, mostly with bike fans. And I know it's not in the best location in the world, but it produces fantastic racing. I'm not sure I want to go back to Donington again. I really don't, to be honest with you. Like, I actually really enjoyed the British Grand Prix being at Silverstone. Um, yeah, sure, it's easy to get to if you're a fan, but. I, I'm not. I'm not going to Mojib races these days. So I don't really care about that. So like, I'm here. I'm here for the racing, and Silverstone yeah, has produced well, fantastic. Yeah, there's, there's two issues, isn't there? Because in terms of the fan experience at the circuit, Donington pretty much trumps Silverstone because you're a lot nearer to the action there. Yes. Better views. It's a smaller circuit. You, you know, you, you're not a million miles away from the track as you are at Silverstone. Um, mm -hmm. Silverstone, of course, being a Formula One circuit, has acres of runoff, um, which you can understand. Um, Donington, of course, doesn't have that problem. Um, but as well as the 50,000 or so people that travel into the circuit, and there were 57,000 at Silverstone on race day this year, um, right. which was substantially down on last year, surprisingly to us all. Um, mm -hmm. But there are also millions who watch this around the world. And to the millions that watch TV and watch tune in to watch MotoGP, history tells us that you get better races at Silverstone than you get at Donington, don't you not? Yes. You do. And I guess it comes down to what Storm are looking for. Are they looking to produce entertaining races? Are they looking to have maybe the cheapest Grand Prix or to have one that makes them the most money? I don't know. I don't know what their requirements are. I don't know what their business model is. I, I'm not sure what their logic or the logic is going to be in making this election because again, we don't know where they're going to be next season. But it's going to be interesting them, them saying, "Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna give uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna give Donington another go." It's it, it seems like a bit of a backwards move to me. Like, why are they going away from Silverstone? I don't understand that. No, I mean, um, the, uh, why, how, I mean, it, it looks like it's going to come down to a bidding war. Because of course, Jonathan Palmer and Motorsport Vision now own Donington. Um, yes, they and, do. And you know, they they're not exactly short of funds because they pretty much own half the circuits in the country now. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of renovation that needs to be done to Donington to get it up to spec. Where have we heard that before? Um, mm -hmm. Formula 1 fans will tell you all about that um, but Substance ready made, circuits ready made and what amazed me is I remember when I watched the MotoGP race back on, on BT Sport after having been there when obviously I didn't have the benefit of the commentary and they were talking about how Silverstone is making so much effort now to, to make itself a bike friendly circuit and make itself the home of MotoGP and it's been a brilliant home for MotoGP since taking over from Donington in 2010 um, right. it's, it's been fantastic and it'll be, it'll be very very strange just as that just as Silverstone is now making that effort, of course, it may well not have a Formula 1 race to host beyond 2019. Um, so it might well want MotoGP to be its jewel in the crown. Um, so just when those efforts are being made, for they, it then to lose the race back to Donington, I think it would be strange. What's also interesting is that just as we record this on Twitter, I've noticed that the, um, the World Endurance Championship has announced that there will actually be a six hours of Silverstone next year. 
um, right. which wasn't previously the case. And it's going to be on August the 19th, which is a week before the scheduled MotoGP day for the British Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. So you kind of wonder, are Silverstone now trying to fill their diary for the summer, perhaps thinking that they're not going to have a MotoGP round um, at that time of the year? Um, I'm, I'm putting two and two together there, but you have to wonder, don't you? Um, when, yeah, they, when, they, when they announce a Moto, a, a key World Championship event, one of the key events in the motorsport calendar, um, a World Endurance round, a week before what would be the MotoGP round there. Um, it, it does make you wonder. Um, and it was interesting. David Emmett said on Twitter um, when this was um, muted that it looks like it might be going back to Donington. He said, prediction for next year if it goes back to Donington, Mark Marquez will win the race by 15 seconds. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> which I thought was interesting. He obviously thinks that race is going to suit Mark Marquez, to which my instant reply to that was, someone sought Tom Sykes out with a wild card. Quick. <laughs> just, Quickly. So, just so someone can keep up with him. Um, sure. next week given that he practically owns the place on a superbike well until this year anyway um, mm-hmm. so um, so yeah it looks as if it may well be Donington it looks like I say it's going to come down to a bidding war between the two circuits as to who hosts the British Grand Prix next year um, one other mention of, from this calendar and that is the Costa tie round the tie Grand Prix debuts next year at Boriram, Valentino Rossi is delighted by that um, but the um, what surprises me Dre is that even with the addition of the tie round at the back end of the season we still have Mategi, Philip Island and Sepang in three consecutive weekends. You'd have thought with four rounds in that part of the world at the end of the year, they'd have been able to split them up a little, a little better than that. You'd think, um, and, you know, these teams are now going to spend a month in Asia, which is a long time to be away from friends and family and loved ones and all that fun stuff. It's the it's the fume and cost of, of, of motorsport where, you know, you're spending those times away. And, I mean, we've already talked in the past about how 18 races were seemingly the reasonable limit of what of what you could have on a Grand Prix calendar. We're now pushing it up to 19 and a full eight-month calendar. That's a lot to handle. And yeah, it's going to be the latest finish in terms of the calendar day. I'm pretty sure that's going to be the latest ever finish to a MotoGP season, November the 18th. So it's only a week before the Formula 1 season finishes. Um, which that's always the last weekend of November. Uh, bad news for anyone hoping to go to Motorcycle Live next year. They're going to have to push that back a bit because half the MotoGP uh, fraternity is still going to be busy. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, I'm, I'm amazed by that. And uh, that was another quote from uh, David Emmett, I believe, when the calendar was announced. He said uh, divorce lawyers will be uh, sharpening their pencils at that because there'll be uh, yeah. um, a lot of families that might well um, struggle to um, to manage that calendar um, next exactly. season, given how much time apart they're going to be spending. It is a shame. And... Um, you kind of wonder whether that calendar could be a slightly better managed, but uh, but it is a difficult job because of course they have to wait because for the Formula One calendar to get their act together, don't they? And there were talks not so long ago when Liberty Media came in that they were going to try and maybe get together all these key championships and try and do a better job of keeping all the various calendars out of each other's way. Um, but MotoGP has this perennial problem, doesn't it? That it, it, it doesn't want to clash with Formula One and therefore the longer Formula One leaves its calendar, MotoGP suffers as a result exactly um so you know they they all they will always they will always try and counter program and they, they try to clash as little as possible so yeah like with formula one still up in the air around it's 20 is 2018 calendar and malaysia still up for grabs in terms of that they just announced a new singapore deal as well this weekend so there's been a lot of unpredictability regarding the f1 calendar going forward so um yeah it's a bit it's a bit of a mess right now. So MotoGP's had to react first on this one. And uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to see how it's turned out. It is still a provisional calendar, of course, and we will update you um, as we go on here on Bike Live as to uh, 
once that calendar becomes official and indeed where the British Grand Prix is going to be held uh, next year. Um, right, before we go, then let's look ahead to this weekend and uh, we'll come back to BSB in a moment. But first, the World Superbike Championship returns and uh, it's coming for a bit of criticism uh, in recent rounds, uh, Dre, given its lack of excitement. But, um, you know, however processionally it is at the front, um, it's very unlikely that we're going to get a dull pair of World Superbike races or indeed World Supersport or Supersport 300 races this season because it's back at Portimao and we all love Portimao. Yes, Porter Mouse, great, but Jonathan Ray's going to own our souls. Um, thanks for watching, everybody. See you next week. Um, no, it's, it's, it's a shame because it's a great circuit. I'm a big fan of Porter Mouse. We're both big fans of Porter Mouse on here, so this should be great. It's a shame we have to wait so long for another World Superbike round again. But, uh, yeah, great to have you back on the count and hope it produces a couple of good races. Mm, yeah, um, um, that seem unlikely, though. Yes, because I'm about to uh, tell you how free practice went today. Uh, by the time this podcast goes out, of course, you will have uh, seen Super Pole take place um congratulations to tom sykes on pole position by the way um oh, and um actually <laughs> that's, that's probably not as certain as it normally is this weekend um mm. given how quick jonathan ray was today because today he was quickest by half a second yeah just oh, a half a second um, <laughs> ahead of the rest of the field and um, he was quickest in free practice one leading a kawasaki one two we didn't have a kawasaki one two in free practice two because tom sykes did not improve his time um from the first session it was jonathan ray quickest ahead of marco melandri um, on the Aruba Ducati um, in second place. Um, with Chaz Davis on the second of the Aruba bikes in third. Um, Jonathan Ray, the only man in the 142s today. A 42-6 for him. Markham Landry at 43-2 in second place. Um, with Chaz Davis third. Camille fourth on the MV. Then came Sykes in fifth. Eugene Larity sixth. Alex Lowe seventh ahead of Lorenzo Savadori and the MotoGP bound Michael Vandermark. And completing the top ten. Yeah, I was surprised too. It's Stefan Braddle. On the Red <laughs> Honda, who's straight through to Super Bowl 2. Yeah, I was surprised as well. Um, in 10th position. Um, the result of that is that Jordi Torres is the key runner in Super Bowl 1. Alongside his teammate, Rafa de Rosa, Leandro Mercado, Chevy Forres, um, Ricardo Russo, Roman Ramos, Alex, uh, Alex Baldellini. Takumi Takahashi was, of course, a stand-in on the Red Bull Honda. He was 18th today. At Mount West, who's in for Randy Krumenaka at Pochetti, Andre Yesek and Andrea Andreozzi, who is a replacement at the Guandolini team um, in uh, that team. Uh, he was slowest today. But, yeah, it is looking highly likely it's going to be a Jonathan Ray double this weekend. He looks very, very quick, ominously quick today. Um, so much so that when World Superbikes tweeted a, an article about an interview with Jonathan Ray earlier today where it quoted him as saying, Portimao was such a unique track, Jonathan Ray responded by saying, did I say challenging? Hashtag sorry. <laughs> just to just to stick the, the metaphorical middle finger up at his opposition. Um, oh, dear. Um, Alex Lowe's instantly replied to that saying, look like a tough day, mate. Hope you find some better pace and consistency for tomorrow. As My his, sarcasm uh, meter yeah. just exploded. Yeah, his rivals <laughs> are uh, taking a lot of uh, sympathy on poor Johnny Ray for his uh, difficult Friday. Um, in the Algarve in Portugal, he is looking very, very good um, at the moment. Um, as far as uh, close championship battles are concerned, we have to look to the lower classes in World Super Sports, and uh, that immediately leads me, Drake, to pose the question of, is this finally the weekend where uh, Lucas Mahias' fingernail grip on the World Super Sports Championship lead is finally broken? Probably. Um, <laughs> I think Keenan's a bit too good. I, I really do. Like Lucas needs a big weekend to stay in front of the championship fight right now. Um, I, I can't wait to see what happens because again, like it's like it's not like Keenan's blowing these dudes away every weekend. No. Um, Keenan was quickest like, today, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, 
it, it's been fun. Mm. Um, <laughs> like Lucas, God bless him. He's really held in there, but I think this might be the one where Keenan takes control of the championship again. Mm. Yeah, what's interesting, though, about practice today, um, and of course, this, like in World Super this has a bearing on the Super Bowl seedings. Keenan Safogli was quickest today, ahead of second placed. The brand new winner from the Lions It's Ring, Sheridan Marias, who was in second place <laughs> on a 145.8. And um, you mentioned in BSB earlier that we're, we're kind of guilty, I suppose, of sleeping on Jake Dixon. Are we in danger here of sleeping on Sheridan Marias a little bit? He's only 20 points off the championship lead and looking quick. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Like, he might be getting there. Um yeah like he's not out of the running yet and he seems to have taken a step forward in this season so hey i would not rule him out of anything either just just yet i mean all it would take might be something like a highest or, or keenan fall and marias is still right in there mm. especially given that that team the calio team as we mentioned last time out when world two likes ran at allows its ring they now have the 2017 spec yamaha uh, r6 with them um so marias is on the same machinery as mahias in the factory team um, and clearly going quickly on it. So Fogley was quickest today, though. Um, four tenths clear of everybody else with Marias second. Um, then came Jules Clouzel on the uh, CIA Landlord's Honda with Mahias in fourth. So he's safely through to Super Pole 2. As is PJ Jacobson on the MV Augusta. Federico Caracasulo, who we are glad to say is fully fit and uh, recovered from the injuries which saw him uh, taken out of the uh, lousy swing race, the re accident that brought the red flags out. Um, the painful accident where he tangled with his teammate. He's fit and running. He was sick today. Ahead of Michael Canducci on the uh, Patetti Jr. bike. Niki Tuli on the second of the Calio bikes. Uh, Gino Ria in ninth. And Christian Gamarino in tenth place. Everyone from 11th backwards, which was Kyle Smith, has to go to Super Bowl 1. That includes the other Brits, Luke Stapleford and Stefan Hill. Um, they have to go through Super Bowl 1 tomorrow. Supersport 300, they are also in action this weekend. And um, used to bring you from that class, Mika Perez, uh, who... Um, last time he spoke to you was the championship leader having finished second um, in the last round in Germany. He has since been disqualified. This was announced today. He was disqualified from that second place because the uh, wheels on his bike were illegal. Oh, um, boy. Yeah, I know. His wheels were illegal uh, on his oh, Honda, okay. um, which means that uh, he was disqualified from that race, which means the championship lead has been swung from Perez um, to another of the Spaniards, um, Mark Garcia. Um, now leads the World Super Sport 300 Championship, despite the fact that he hasn't won a race all year. Um, he's been pretty consistent, though, about it, and uh, that consistency has taken him into the championship lead, with Mika Perez now down to third, although just 13 points cover that top three, uh, top four, should I say, uh, in the Super Sport 300 uh, Championship, with Perez now down to fourth. Um, it's uh, the Spaniard uh, Garcia that leads it, heading into this weekend, the... Uh, penultimate round or third to last round should I say of the World Supersport Championship in the 300 class because they don't go to Qatar at the end of the season Garcia leads by three from the Italian Alfonso Coppola um, who's also had a pretty uh, painful disqualification to worry about earlier season because he was disqualified from the win in Donington um, earlier this year Scott Drew's third uh, the early championship leader he's just 10 off the lead and then the aforementioned Perez who's 13 off the lead in fourth with Borja Sanchez the Spaniard third Spaniard in the top five on 59 points so he's only 26 off the lead in fifth with three races to go. It's heading for a close conclusion uh, in the World Supersport 300 class. All of those riders that I mentioned are safely through to Super Bowl 2 uh, in Portugal with Daru, the fastest of them today, ahead of Garcia and Perez. Uh, right then, BSB, um, also in action this weekend. They go back-to-back -back with the first of the showdown rounds at Alton Park this weekend. And um, so far today, Dre, another round that appears to be affected by the weather because it rained again today. 
Um, yeah. Christian Iden, typically, <laughs> was fastest off them um, in the wet conditions today. Um, but it, it throws another variable in, doesn't it? Because given how condensed and how short this championship is now, it's a three-round championship over seven races, two wet races on Sunday can really mix things up. And you know the pressure and the, the tension and the nervousness for the likes of Shaky Byrne and Leon Haslam, who in theory have the most to lose, gets cranked up if the weather's pretty bad on Sunday. Absolutely, and we all know Josh Brooks goes very well at Alton Park, as does Leon Haslam. So there's going to be a, there's going to be a lot of eyes on that for this weekend as well. So absolutely, if 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 it's going to be rain affected, then oh, it's going to be tense out there. Yeah, even was quickest in the wet this morning. Free practice two did actually take place in the dry, and it was Brooks who was quickest uh, on a one thirty four five ahead of Jake Dixon. Um, so the men in third and fourth in the championship were one and two today in practice. Christian Eden was third ahead of John Hopkins with Leon Haslam in fifth. Shaky Byrne was not even in the top 10, bizarrely, um, today uh, in free practice, although we'll expect him, no doubt, to come through uh, tomorrow. Um, he was 11th in the end. The uh, session did start wet, but then dried out, and Shaky Byrne, who wasn't on track at the end, tumbled down the order as the track uh, improved and times tumbled, but expect Shaky to figure tomorrow. As you mentioned earlier on, he won at Alton Park earlier in the season. It was his first win, of course, of the year. Um, that brings us to the end then of episode 30 of Bike Live and don't forget we'll be back next week for episode 31 to look back on a weekend of superbikes as the, the World Superbikes heads to Portimao and BSB kicks off the showdown at Alton Park between now and then though episode 104 of Motorsport 101 now Dre um, we're very sad to announce once again that unfortunately you're going to have to miss this one too um, <laughs> um, shout out to William Hill for that one um, but thanks but um, <laughs> but in all seriousness, for uh, the uh, whoever does appear on the show, um, RJ and King and uh, Zoe likely to be in control once again, they're going to have a hell of a lot to talk about, aren't they? Formula 1 in Singapore and the six-way shootout for the IndyCar title at Sonoma. Well, that's called it. Scott Dixon versus the Penske Dragons, um, <laughs> basically, um, at, at Sonoma for the IndyCar season finale. The, the, like, the one eligible Honda left that is Dixon against all four Penskes who mathematically can still win the title. Um, so yeah, and obviously don't count out Graham Rahal either. He can think he's mathematically has a chance as well, as much as I think if Ray Hall wins the title, I think we're all gonna go absolutely bad shit crazy. Mm-hmm. Um so mm-hmm. that that IndyCar season finale at Sonoma and Formula One at Singapore, can Sebastian Vettel retake the championship lead? He is currently favourite to win this weekend, but Daniel Ricardo set a new track record in free practice two earlier today. So keep an half an eye on that one as well. Sadly I won't be on that one, but I'll be back soon. I promise. Yeah. I'll, I will fight people. Episode 104 next week. I'm not as well. 101. Yes, and, uh, there is. It's not the reason for his absence is not because of the uh, restraining order that's now been carried out against Zoe Hamilton. Um, it, it is because of uh, unfortunately a very uh, busy work schedule uh, for Dre at the moment. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, check out the uh, early stages of episode 103 and keeping it at 101. Um, to understand what we mean by that. If you want to follow us between now and then for all the latest from uh, both of our shows, Motorsport 101 and Bike Live, um, Facebook and Twitter are the best places to find us. Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. On Twitter, we are at Motorsport underscore 101. Uh, on YouTube, keep an eye out, as I mentioned, for uh, Dre's uh, latest vlogs on there. YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Our website is Motorsport101.net. And if you want to back us financially, and if you have, you have earned this show, access to the show before everybody else. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. It's worth mentioning, actually, Dre, before we go on the Patreon side, um, slight tweak to the uh, tiers in recent weeks that the listeners yes, might want to hear about. Good shout. Um, yeah, yes, indeed. Um, basically, my, my way of thinking was 
there was a bit too big of a gap between the five and the fifteen dollar tiers. So I decided to do a little bit of restructuring work. And I got a calculator out basically. Um, go me, I'm very clever. But um, yeah, what happens is we've now readjusted it now. So the t-shirt tier has been dropped from fifteen to ten dollars a month. And in the $15 tier, there is now an option where you can be in, involved in exclusive Patreon um, hangouts with me, um, as well as potentially maybe other members of Motorsport 101 as well. I'm sure I could easily talk King into it because I know he, he, likes, he likes to stick on to me like a sore thumb half the time. So, like again, it, it'll, be, it'll be once a month you get, you get an exclusive Google hangout with me and maybe more members of Motorsport 101 as well. We can talk sports or anything else you like, quite frankly. Um, and you get your name on the website as a exclusive backer. So, hey, if you want to have your name immortalized in Motorsport 101 history, now's your chance. That is that, that is the $15 thing. We wanted to give a little bit more to the Patreon backers that are at that ridiculously higher level, which is same as it is so if you if you like what you see check it out don't, don't forget to readjust and get in touch if you haven't already regarding if you want to be eligible for those little extra benefits let us know but uh yeah if you want to check that out patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 yeah dre's gonna dre's gonna be so sore when stefan bowen backs us on patreon and requests that we could hang out with rebecca james no he's gonna be so so sore when that happens no. uh, shout out to you stefan if you're listening um, but uh, just try not to mention Hull City's lazy sex points uh, on Twitter. I could really do without <laughs> being re- being reminded of that because we're doing terribly at the moment. Um, but anyway, um, we'll be back next week. Episode 104 of Motorsport 101. Uh, looking back on the uh, night race in Singapore and the championship shootout at Sonoma and IndyCar. And episode 31 of Bike Live. Looking back on a heavyweight weekend of superbikes as World Superbikes takes on Portimao and the BSB shutdown gets underway at Alton Park. We look forward to talking to you again about all of that next week. Until then, for myself and Andre Harrison. It's bye for now.